Welcome to Recently Logged, where this week, the nightmare begins. Everyone, uh, this week we're having we're having a fun episode. We have a special we have a special guest. Um, Indeed, we do, and it's going to be a really fun episode. <laughs> very uh, long episode. Very long episode. But before we get into all of that, uh, we're going to go over the basic facts of the movie we're talking about today. Absolutely. All right. So this week we're talking about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Hurrah! It is a 2020 <laughs> film, uh, rated PG-13. It is two hours and six minutes. Nice. Its little IMDb description is Doctor Strange teams up with with a mysterious teenage girl (laughs) from his dreams who can travel across multiverses (laughs) to battle multiple threats, including other universe versions of himself, which threaten to wipe out millions across the multiverse. They seek help from Wanda, the Scarlet Witch. Wong and others. And others. That's a really weird description. That's a weird description. (laughs) Its cast features Benedict Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Olsen. Nice. Oh boy. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Shiwitel Ejofer? I don't know. That's my best guess. (laughs) Benedict Wong. Yes. I should have I should have I should have checked people's names before we recorded this. (laughs) But uh newcomer I'm gonna guess. Octil Gomez. That's my best guess. <laughs> she's very good in that. <laughs> yeah, she's she's amazing. Shout out to her. <laughs> she's younger than me. Right. Crazy. Uh, Rachel McAdams. Yeah. Uh, Jet Klein. Uh, Julian Hillard. Fan which, favorite. Which shout out to Julian. Love him. Julian's amazing. So good. <laughs> uh, uh, director uh, Sam Raimi. Written by Michael Waldron. Music by Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. You gotta love the elf man. The elf man. And uh, yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. That is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, without further ado, let's get into the big chunk of the episode with our guest. Yeah. Stephen Strange <laughs> is forbidden to dreamwalk into a dead body. <laughs> oh man, I love Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi is the guy. I, pull, I pulled up his Wikipedia page in case we wanted to do some fun facts about our boy. Uh, I, I was well. Here's the here's the story I wanted to say, which is that I was explaining Sam Raimi to to my dad yesterday, okay. like his whole his whole deal. And while I was listening, uh, first of all, we should. Well, welcome to recently logged a podcast <laughs> where two brothers occasionally have on. Uh, a lunatic who talks too long. So or very occasionally, yes. Uh, very occasionally. It's been seven or eight months now. I think we the the floodgates are open once again. So uh, there there's a there's a podcast called uh, Blank Check with Griffin and David, and they talk about directors. Uh, and so recently they talked about all of Sam Raimi's movies. So they've talked about him a lot, and I don't want to like retread too much <laughs> of that ground, but also it's like it's interesting. So yeah, so yeah. in in the spirit of trying to keep things uh, original, um, I'll just say I was I was explaining Sam Raimi to my dad and saying like, oh well, when he was uh, you know twenty or so, I don't want to say that because it's I can't believe it. Uh, <laughs> he he had this idea for the movie Evil Dead. And was going around trying to get money for it. And I believe the story was that Robert Tapper, one of the producers, 
his dad was friends with a lawyer and his dad was like, oh, yes, I will introduce you to my lawyer friend so you can have the legal fees done. But then to the lawyer guy, his dad, the dad was secretly like, talk the kids out of it. This is a bad idea. So they go over there and they have a, a half hour proof of concept film, which is on YouTube in like 280p and it's like, you know, seven <laughs> pixels. Um, yeah. I, I found this. I found this YouTube channel recently. We're already sidebarred. Yeah, yeah. Times. Uh, but but uh, I found this YouTube channel recently called Famous First Films, and it's a collection of like hundreds of short films from like prominent directors, filmmakers, and such. And it has everything from like Scorsese's "What's a Nice Girl," or no, no, it's not just you, Murray, to yeah. Joseph Kaczynski's. Gears of War uh, <laughs> TV ad because he used to work in video games, and yeah. so it's like it's like a slowed down dramatic version of like Mad World, but with like <laughs> exactly yeah, and like he directed that, so that's on there, um, and and it has lots of interesting stuff. One of them is Sam Raimi's uh, hour long Super Eight movie, It's Murder! Exclamation point. Yeah, yeah, no, which, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was like trying to watch it, and again, it's in <laughs> terrible quality. It's still like just the idea of an hour-long Super Eight movie is very impressive, and he made it when he was like seventeen or so. So again, I just I I can't like even you know even though it has some amateurish qualities, obviously I can't even like say anything bad about it simply because how do you do that? Right. Uh, I thought one of the funniest things that there's a character who's basically like if if Doctor Strangelove was a serious movie and the character of Dr. Strange was, was played by like uh, Boris Karloff and then they had and then they had Peter Sellers doing an impression of that character but they didn't actually have Peter Sellers they had one of Sam Raimi's friends so it's like <laughs> Sam Raimi's friend doing an impression of Peter Sellers doing an impression of a fictional version of Dr. Strange Love where he's played seriously by Boris Karloff that's the only way I can explain it and that's only like one of the characters in the movie so anyway so, so they go to the lawyer guy and they show him this half-hour uh, proof-of-concept film. I think it's, like, uh, into the... Not into the woods. It's um, <laughs> something within the woods, I believe. Uh, within within and, the woods. Yeah. Within the woods. Thank you. And he was so impressed by it that he's like, I want two shares in the movie for the legal work. <laughs> and, and, like, does, like, I think $20,000 worth of legal work to, to have, like, uh, a share in the movie. And to this day, like, gets uh, checks from that because it's been really <laughs> successful. And my dad was, like, really impressed by that, and he was like, oh, no way. And so he hasn't seen the Evil Dead movies, and he, like, maybe saw the Spider-Man movies years ago. Yeah. Uh, so so I showed him, the like, the trailer to the first Evil Dead, and within the first, like, 10 seconds, he's like, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is so bad. <laughs> and then by the end, he was like, Oh my god, that's so impressive! How did they how did they do that? They must have worked so hard on this. Uh, how did they do like the face melting? And I was like, oh well, it's stop motion claymation, and they were. I was like, oh my god, that's so cool! And then I showed him the trailer to Evil Dead Two, and he was just like cackling the entire yeah. time. So I think I and now he wants to watch them. So I think I've accidentally maybe turned my dad into a into an, a, a deadhead. So yeah, um, which is very exciting. But but all this to say, this is an episode about. <laughs> the 2022 film Marvel Studios presents a Kevin Feige production question oh, mark? No. Oh, Sam no. Raimi's <laughs> Doctor Strange in colon The Multiverse of Madness. I'm going to take a sip of water now. Ooh, <laughs> heck yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Refreshing. 
Yeah. <laughs> so hey, so, everyone. Yeah. Hello. hello. <laughs> you guys. You guys can can do the episode proper. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll um recover for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're talking about uh. Sam Raimi's most recent directorial outing, which yeah. the first I mean, one in nine years, <laughs> and it wasn't even his originally. He just kind of got slapped on at the end. <laughs> I, I remember. I'm gonna cut you off again. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I remember like where I was when I heard the news. Well, first of all, I remember like Scott Derrickson <laughs> is leaving for Creative Differences. I thought, oh no, because I was a fan right. of the first Doctor Strange, even though I haven't seen it in a while. But I remember like that's a good one. That's a dude who like cares about movies, obviously. If he's leaving, uh, I'm worried because I I just I like Doctor Strange and I'm interested in a sequel. And then I'm like, whoever they get, it's not going to be good. And then they just threw out this curveball. <laughs> I was I was like in a in a hotel and it was like in a hotel lobby and it was like <laughs> Sam Raimi is doing it. And I thought, no, <laughs> that's not a real thing that happens. That is a crazy thing to say. When do I wake up? Exactly. Um, <laughs> and this this was like right before the pandemic. I think they announced this in like early like February twenty twenty, um, and or was it twenty nineteen? I think it was twenty nineteen. That's I that's yeah, I feel like it, it was I feel like it was a long time ago. Yeah, that it got announced. Yeah. Um. Wait. No. <laughs> no. Wait. Derrickson stepped down uh, as director in January twenty twenty, citing oh, creative okay. differences. Waldron, Michael Waldron, the writer, and Ray- Raimi joined the following month and started over, yeah, adding elements of the horror genre that Raimi worked on previously and making Maximoff the villain of the film. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> continuing her... St- By the way, we're going to talk about the movie yes. and about Wanda yes. probably extensively. Yeah, I was about I to say, we, we usually don't put yeah, spoiler yeah. warnings just because if you're listening to this, like... I assume that you've probably <laughs> seen the movie if you're listening right. to the episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> So yeah, keep keep going. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, me and Micah have pretty. I think we've all seen like the same outings of Sam Raimi. We've seen the Raimi trilogy, like his Spider-Man films, Woo-hoo. and we've. Seen... I only watched Spider-Man three. You're never gonna get through this <laughs> intro. You're gonna like finish the episode by finishing the intro. But um, I watched Spider-Man three for the first time about a month ago. First oh, of all, good movie. Yes. Second of all, it was. I think that's the first movie I ever got on Blu-ray. Like my grandpa likes to get. Bargain bin DVDs, and he'll just get pretty much anything. And so, like, I'll pilfer through them. And, like, yeah, like, ten or so years ago, he had a Spider-Man 3 Blu-ray. And that that was, like, before I even had a Blu-ray player. But I'm just like, Spider-Man, I'll take it. And only now did I finally watch it. So Nice, nice. I, I thought I should. So yeah, we've seen, we've seen the Sam Raimi trilogy, which we actually did an episode on on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, we've seen The Quick and the Dead. Mm. and Good movie just recently uh drag me to hell yeah also a good movie (laughs) oh my goodness i loved drag me to hell i talked about it a little bit back when i first watched it but i i think i'm just a sucker for sam raimi man i don't know he's such a good director so far the quick and the dead is probably been (laughs) my overall favorite of his that i've seen Mm -hmm. that's fair yeah I think the first Spider Man, like the two thousand two one, is probably still my favorite of his. But that 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 was the first like time I'd ever seen Sam Raimi in any capacity. Yeah. So I think I, it might just be nostalgia for that. I, right. I'm... I I remember the first time I think I saw that movie again. I was like thirteen or yeah, so maybe, yeah. and I think I just like pulled it up on Netflix. And <laughs> and yeah, I think the the main thing I want to take away from this episode is that Sam Raimi knows how to make a, a capital M movie. Right. And <laughs> Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is a capital M movie. And, 
you know, maybe it's just that standards have been lowered and such, but we don't get a lot of those anymore. (laughs) And I'm just so happy to go to a theater and see one and enjoy myself, you know. Right. Something like Dune still feels like a landmark in the landscape of like modern movies, which is crazy. Right. Right. (laughs) Just don't get stuff like that anymore. It's like when one of these things sneak through. And, and the thing about, like, Dune, comparatively, is that Dune is, like, big and important. And right. Multiverse of Madness is a comic book movie in the sense of it feels... I mean, I have so many side tangents here, but it, it feels <laughs> yeah. adapted from a comic book in the way that none of the other MCU movies do. And in, in the sense of... I haven't read a lot of uh, uh, comic book... Uh, superhero comic books, but, like, I get the same feeling after watching this movie than I that I do reading, like... Uh, a series of like superhero comics, something about the story and the scope and the vibe, it just, it, it matches. And I think what's notable about Sam Raimi doing an MCU movie is that first of all, he's the first MCU director to like have a sizable career before him. Yeah. Uh, He's the oldest and most experienced and most acclaimed, I guess. Well, maybe Ryan Coogler, (laughs) but yeah. And, and also, I mean, a side thing, it's like he's, (laughs) He's he's Jewish, which we've never had a, a Jewish MCU director. That's right? just a thing I'm interested in. Like, like just especially in this movie and especially in Sam Raimi's sort of career, what that sort of means. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we just we have someone who like knew how to make a movie before the MCU <laughs> happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, again, like Ryan Coogler was in film school, I believe, like right as Iron Man was taking off. Oh, yeah. And like. <laughs> Yeah, like the other exception might be James Gunn or so, mm-hmm. who was making the trauma movies and and whatnot. And again, like you can tell, he has some <laughs> experience and ideas about how movies should be made before he was uh, in the the Marvel machine. Yeah. Um. And I'm not as cynical about like MCU directors as a lot of other people I follow on Twitter are. Uh, <laughs> and so like even John Watts, it's like I can see his his voice in the Spider Man movies, but the voice is that of, like, this is a good internet video, but we're talking about a Spider-Man film. Yeah. And so there is a little bit of a disconnect. And then with Sam Raimi, it's like we're talking about a well-crafted film. And it, it the, the key to Multiverse of Madness is it's it's the craft, right? It's, it's the love of movies, and it's the fact that, like, Sam Raimi, I know, knows, like, what focal lengths are and how to hold a moment <laughs> and how to get the actors to make faces that excite and how to just, like, use the camera. It, again, the bar is so low. Right. But just, like, <laughs> use the camera interestingly yes. in a way that, like, elicits reactions. Exactly. There are so many just moments that I would they just make me feel so happy when I'm watching this movie. Right. I, like, giggle. I, like, giggle at so yes. many of the see, fun see little how... camera movements in this movie. I'll, I'll say for the podcast, <laughs> since we're still pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think out, of, out of the three of us here, I, I liked this the least amount. I gave it a three and a half. Doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I still, I still really like like the movie. And um, you know, I, I agree with a lot of these things in terms of Sam Raimi just like actually knowing and having good film knowledge going into this, especially in how it shines through versus like any other MCU movie. If you play these next to each other, um, mm-hmm. but like. There's still something about this movie, I don't know what it is, that just feels, like, especially hollow to me. 
And I, I kind of wanted to talk about that throughout this Go like, ahead. episode. Go ahead, I'm interested. Because I, well, see, here's the thing. Like, yeah. I don't exactly know what causes this because, mm-hmm. like you were talking about, and I really liked what you mentioned in terms of it feeling like a comic book. I haven't read, like, a ton of comic books, but I have read yeah, a decent amount. First of all, like, we're not <laughs> huge nerds. Yeah, like... Again, the bar for being a huge nerd is very high, right? <laughs> right. And so it's like maybe in high school in the 80s, we'd have gotten wedgies or something. But nowadays, <laughs> nowadays. nowadays there are people who are like cooler than us who reads, you know, anime and, and manga and know more. Like, like I, I don't know who Clea is in the post credit or the mid credit scene, you know? And it's like that was that was a moment where people in my theater clapped. And I was just like, this is lost on me. Uh, so... I can relate but to yeah, that. Yeah. So I don't yeah. I don't read like a ton of comics, but I have read a decent amount. You've read more um, than I have, for sure. And I think I think really honestly the story because I've heard a lot of people complain about the the screenplay of this and that was I never have really hot takes on this. That was never really my biggest As problem I. because I feel like it's I feel like <laughs> its simplicity and structure actually does feel very reminiscent of the way a comic book works mm-hmm. and using yes. Sam Raimi's craft to kind of tie it all together. I think on a story level it works really well. Um but there's just something about it. Maybe it's visually because I really don't like how this film, like like camera wise, it looks good. But mm-hmm. like there's something about the visuals that with most MCU movies, especially lately, it still mm-hmm. just feels so. I don't know, like dry. <laughs> it feels like a TV show at TV times. show. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think especially on Disney Plus. I, I rewatched this on Disney Plus as <laughs> we have because they are. <laughs> Tanking the company, I don't. Like, they they explicitly said their focus is on streaming, right? Uh, and they're living up to that, and we're like seeing the repercussions of that in in the fact that uh, you know it's like I was listening to another. I'm so sorry, guys. I've listened to other podcasts, uh, and so I was listening to the unspooled episode about Paddington Two this morning, yeah. and and they were talking about um, the the Lightyear movie and how like uh, Paul Shear his kids. We're like, we have to go to the theater to see a Pixar movie because they haven't had to do that. Oh, that makes in, me so oh, sad. Yeah. Oh. And like, like he was saying, like, they're okay going to the theater to see Sonic because, you know, Paramount Plus isn't the real streaming service that nobody has. <laughs> um, so, but, but like, the, they're sort of like building an expectation of like, you can wait to see it on Disney Plus. And I have, I have a, a sort of conspiracy theory. Like, I feel like I got Disney Plus basically because WandaVision was coming out. Yeah. Um, I, I, I held out until that point. Um, <laughs> and I I don't know if it's like just a weird memory thing or a Mandela effect thing. I feel like somewhere in between then and now, when you pull up the app, the blue of the Disney has become desaturated. Just like a little bit. <laughs> I feel like I sound crazy when I say that. Because again, you might I usually, be right. you might I usually be right. remember things a little more vividly than they actually are. <laughs> but I feel like Disney just the Disney Plus app just generally is like kind of saturated. And I don't know if it's like a streaming thing. There, there, there are lots of people who talk about like uh, you know the, a trend in modern cinematography <clears throat> is just like make things look as fast as possible because they're going to be watched on a phone and in a theater and just make it so that there won't be any complications. And if yeah. you make something like look particularly good and you watch it on a 2015 Android, uh-oh, it might not look as good. <laughs> oh, and that no. person is being robbed of some sort of experience. <laughs> so we can't, I hate we that. can't let that <laughs> oh, happen. Oh, man. Uh, but no, I think, I, but it can't, I don't know what it is because it's not just mm-hmm. visuals. I mean, visuals are really important to me in filmmaking. Um, oh, like, sure. Like, honestly, the things I have, that I have I a like, comment on that, but keep going. <laughs> honestly, the things that I like most about filmmaking are like rhythm, 
music and visuals and mm-hmm. not like music as in like sound the actual yeah but like the the kind of musicality of the movie on a whole yeah. and the I, vibe if you will yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um and i feel like most mcu movies specifically recently because again since they've been pumping these out like nobody's <laughs> business and disney plus exists uh these movies have the quality of like how they look has just completely disappeared um yeah it just feels like it it kind of draws me out of what this is and right no i i understand that yeah that's um, fair th- there's something to that i was trying to figure it out because I, I i i had a busier week than i was expecting when we set this up um <laughs> so i i rewatched this in like in 40 minute increments uh <laughs> over a couple days and so i finished it like an hour before we started recording <laughs> and and yeah i'm watching it and i'm like the lighting is better than most MCU movies, yeah. and Sam Raimi like knows how to use this stuff. But it does there. There is a sort of a thing of. I, I don't want to go. I, I'm not a, a camera expert, but I'm a, <laughs> I'm a I'm a camera thinker person. I think about yeah. cameras a lot. Um, there's especially with like Disney stuff, a Disney look. People say like, oh, there's a Netflix look, and maybe there's like an HBO look, and people try to figure out what that is. And I think something about the Disney look is that what it what it does is that it feels I want to find words to describe it that <laughs> Micah hasn't already used because it's right. right like dry and a little bit hollow and I think multiverse yeah. is better than some of the other ones. No, but there's is. something about it that just kind of feels cheap. Yes. That cheap. that's kind of what it that's just good. it just it feels and these are cheaper. so expensive <laughs> yeah and it costs 200 million plus dollars um it i, I want to like try to pin down what kind of cheapness <laughs> it is it, it's a weird kind of cheapness where it's like you should know better and we've seen better yeah and it, it's it's the it's the thing of like we know this could be better so why isn't it yeah and when the same when the same disney look is applied to uh, a disney plus movie like you know it's it's like a or disney channel original movie it's like well this is what we're expecting it fits the tone it fits the vibe when yeah. we've seen movies from 15 years ago that had even <laughs> like less of a budget and less talent behind the camera that feel more expensive and just like you people pick up on these things more than i think uh they you'd expect yeah, yeah. um and I think it just, it feels less special. I don't Absolutely. know if that's a cumulative effect with just, there's a lot of Marvel content <laughs> and people are getting tired and busy and they have to go home and they have to go to Wikipedia and figure out who is, <laughs> is Clea. And, oh, that was Charlize Theron. I didn't catch that. And, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, no, I, I totally yeah. get that. It's, it's interesting, though, because you mentioned uh, some Disney Plus stuff. Like, take, I just watched... For some reason, I watched this. I don't really know why. Mm-hmm. I watched Sneakerella, the mm-hmm. Disney Plus original <laughs> Sneakerella. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And honestly, it li- visually is like more colorful and does creative stuff with the camera than like ninety percent of MCU movies recently. You, you know what? I, you know what? I can't get over. Um, uh, if you remember a film, uh, the Nut Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Yes. Oh man. That movie was shot by. Maybe like one of the five best working cinematographers today, Linus Sandgren. Right. Uh, on thirty-five millimeter, and like looks really good. That's a movie that no one has seen. First <laughs> exactly. of all, Let, let's yeah. clarify that no <laughs> one can appreciate it 
because no one has seen it. No one it. on Earth but, has watched it. <laughs> right. But it just it's this weird thing where it's like, hold on a second. Why why? <laughs> that's my that's my main takeaway. Wait, why? Yeah. And that movie is probably in a weird way, at least visually, going to age better than like every MCU movie. Right. right. <laughs> but um I since I I mentioned what I rated it. What what did you guys what did you guys rate Multiverse of Madness? Cuz I gave it I gave it a 3 and a half. <laughs> um I gave it a 4 and a half out of 5. I thought I thought I, it was great. I thought it was fantastic, <laughs> really, but <laughs> I okay, uh, I gave it a 5 out of 5. <laughs> my my letterbox every time I I sort of go through it, I'm sort of amazed how many like four and a half and five out of fives I have? Um, I mean, well, first of all, it's just my general philosophy. I usually try to watch movies I think I'm gonna like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so usually I do end up like. Also, I just I like movies, and so if I see yeah. a movie, also like my rating system doesn't <laughs> correlate. Like, I yeah. gave Citizen Kane a five out of five. That doesn't mean I think it's you know I don't think Multiverse of Madness is on par with Citizen Kane. It, my rating system is mostly just like it's kind of like what did I expect out of this? What did I think it could have done? And what do I think was its potential? And what was it maybe trying to do? And what did I get out of it? And yeah. it's like if I sat there and I was engaged and I wasn't like you know mad or bored, it's probably going to get like a four out of five at least. Exactly. I've been trying to steal your rating yeah, philosophy no, recently, where I'm like, okay, I'm trying to isolate this movie. Like if I'm I'm trying to remove it from the context of almost any other movie I've seen. I'm yeah. like what is this movie really doing like on mm-hmm. its own merits? I'm like, that's, that's why I've been rating stuff. I think higher recently. No, and I, don't, I don't think rating stuff higher yeah. is a bad thing at all. I think that's good. <laughs> that means you're enjoying yeah. what you're watching. I'm, I'm having so much fun watching movies, <laughs> but, man. But, but what it, what it ends up with on Letterboxd <laughs> is movies. I think are better than another movie getting a lower score than said movie. Um, <laughs> right. So like my Letterboxd is therefore confusing. Right. Uh, <laughs> I do have I do yeah. have a story though that I thought about just uh, okay. just to kind of play in with what we've been talking about. So we went and we sure. went and watched this uh, with with the whole family, the family uh, in theaters. <laughs> the um, <laughs> and we we got into this theater. We were, it was a, it was a pretty packed theater. We were sitting close to the back. Um, we were second to back row and left of the theater, and there was a row behind us. Full of probably what would you say like elementary middle? I would school say age like kids. I don't know like six year olds, seven year olds. They were, right they were in pretty there. young kids who weren't alive when <laughs> Age of Ultron came out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there were there were like five of them and one adult oh, who man, did not yeah. seem to want anything to like. She was in the very corner seat, yeah. like kind of like covered up, like she wasn't even watching <laughs> Had, the like, movie. You know the the, the New York Times and, <laughs> exactly. was, uh... and these kids would not stop talking so loud. <laughs> The entire movie, and it, it, to be fair, they were talking about. They were the talking movie, about the movie at least. They were into it. <laughs> they would be like, "No, they weren't even into it." Oh, Something no. would happen. They'd be like, "What's happening? What is this? Who is that? What's oh. going on? How is this?" Woo, 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 ha. Every this is second. <laughs> this is this is interesting. I think what this is a symptom of is one of my favorite aspects about Multiverse of Madness, <laughs> which is that it doesn't want to pander. To anyone, <laughs> right? There, there are moments of it, of course, and there's the the infamous Jim uh, uh, from the Office incident. <laughs> oh, but no. um, I think, uh, like, my favorite thing about Multiverse of Madness is it's more interested in like the intuitive filmmaking. It, it's the craft. It's like the thing that sticks with me the most about this movie is like, especially on this most recent Fractured Watch, is the the like the way that Sam Raimi is interested in like minds. Like, you know, 
and like, like he's into eyeballs and stuff and <laughs> yeah. like brain things. But like there's there's the part in the the you know Wanda Maximoff versus Illuminati showdown where uh, <laughs> Patrick Stewart shows up and and you have uh, a shot of like you know he throws out his arm yeah. and the camera like pushes it or, or no, no Scarlet Witch throws out her arm and it pushes in and it gets close to his eyeball and then he throws out his arm and it gets it, it pushes in and then it goes inside her and like we don't like we just know intuitively oh he was quicker and stronger than her and was able to get inside her brain yeah, yeah. first yeah. of all that's sick <laughs> that's really cool right. and inside her brain we see that it's like it's empty except for like you know gravel and rubble and we get a sense of this stuff even if you don't know Wanda's lore Lore, uh, <laughs> you you just get a sense of like like it's it's the littlest things like in the rubble that the uh, universe original Wanda is under. There's like a doily hanging from the the rubble, and it's just you just get like a sense of this old world destruction. Yeah, you know, the, you just get like a sense of things that aren't explained to you. And because, you know, humans are smarter than maybe a lot of people give credit for, right. you, like, you pick up on that stuff, and it's meaningful and impactful. And so a lot of this movie has to do with, like, uh, dreamwalking, a concept which is really cool. Uh, <laughs> and and sort of, like, controlling people's minds, and that's, like, what Scar Witch is all about. And the way Sam Raimi does that, it doesn't have Wanda be like, abracadabra, I control you now. It's, it's like, camera movements and, like, fades and wipes and stuff. And, like, she'll, like, close her eyes and then the camera, like, perfectly moves in with that. And then it, like, mm. goes over her head and fades into a closer-up shot. Yep. And then there'll be like a close-up of her eyeball and it opens up and then we're, like, in the other body. And you just, like, know that? And that's an inventive use of filmmaking to convey an abstract concept that is, once again, super cool. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think honestly one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. um, things and like one of my favorite moments in the movie, I was actually going to bring this up because uh, I was going to ask the, the question at some point uh, what your favorite <laughs> scene or sequence is since that's like a staple mm. of the podcast. And one of my favorites actually is uh, when she dream walks the one time and it does like the whole yeah. camera following all the way throughout oh the God. kitchen and you have the different like oh my hallucinations God. and stuff. <laughs> oh my God. Does it like, does it like, so that's happening and the camera, it's like, it's, 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 it's like an evil dead thing and it's like going behind the staircase and it has this like rattling sound yeah. uh, and then the lamp moves and it doesn't do a full evil dead two like scream, but it was like, <laughs> uh, and then she, she's like walking and it gets all trippy and like, the, there's the photograph of her that moves mm. and the <laughs> so like good. the plates like fly and crash in slow motion <laughs> in a way and there's like a, a tidal wave in a teacup yep. and these things that don't make sense <laughs> but so cool. you just like get the vibe and then and then there's like even like particular stuff where you see the reflection of Scarlet Witch in the kitchen mirror mm -hmm. or the kitchen uh, window and that looks like a 90s level effect like right. it's a very particular look where it's like they could have done that same exact feeling for uh, an effect in the 90s yeah. and somehow that's like connects to you more right, right. Like there's just something really particular about it and then you like you get it and again like I'm just gonna say this every time yeah. it's the tiniest little things there's yes. like a close up of Scarlet Witch's eyes where she has like the makeup on and there's one piece of glitter that's like in her eyebrow yep. and for some reason that makes it that makes the movie feel like ten times more real than if that piece of glitter wasn't there I can't explain why <laughs> exactly I don't understand it but 
you feel it and you feel like this is a real thing happening. Even if you don't like believe this is a real universe, you believe, oh, a real person behind a camera and someone spent time putting on the makeup. Yeah. And that that's the big thing with Sam Raimi is that even if you don't believe in like evil demons <laughs> are coming to get you, you believe that a real person was like standing in a room and they had to like jump backwards. Exactly. And, yeah. and so there's maybe... like that, that that goes back to like silent movie stuff where where it's like, okay, you know that well, sometimes it is they're jumping off real buildings. But like <laughs> you know, maybe this doesn't look quote unquote real, but the fact that they're doing it can like endears you to it exactly. and like yeah, connects with it. Maybe that's something that kind of plays into what I'm saying where this movie kind of loses me because I very much agree with that feeling from Sam Raimi, especially in his work in the Evil Dead stuff. But at the same time, because so much of this movie operating in the MCU is so fake feeling, mm-hmm. it kind of loses me on a lot of that. Like, because because again, it's like, a lot of whiplash. Take like yeah. T- yeah, take like the Evil Dead stuff where they would use like claymation for effects mm-hmm. and stuff, and take like the eyeball <laughs> on Doctor Strange. That looks that mm-hmm. does not look like a Sam Raimi eyeball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. It just kind of, it. I don't know, it pulls me out and gives me a yeah, like whiplash between Sam Raimi being like really, really smart with his camera movements, his, his ideas behind everything, and then kind of having the MCU feeling of like holding everything down and back. Mm-hmm. Coming off of something from like another superhero movie outing from him, like the Raimi trilogy Spider-Man movies, those movies get praised a ton on like film oh, sure. Twitter and stuff. And I think they're, they, they have a lot of Rightfully really good so, aspects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that is always connected to me the most out of them is how, honestly, like, 100% tangible they all feel. Yes. Even, even if some of the effects haven't aged super well throughout. <laughs> like the right. But, they, they, like, they look really, like, <laughs> yeah, good, and they yeah. never try and, like, do too much, and they never, I don't know, they're really... Exactly. When, when, you, when you compare this to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, I... Because, again, like, I watched Spider-Man 3 for the first time recently, and I've been, like, thinking about these movies... It is just amazing where it's, and again, it's just like, this is before the almost factory-like production of these things, Yeah. and you had people on set with ideas, and you have Sam Raimi who has all this experience so far, and I don't want to say it, but well, you have like film cameras, (laughs) uh, which just make things, I apologize, look better. No, Um, I love, I would agree. Film looks so much better. (laughs) Yeah. And so you just, you have these elements to it where it's like yeah they're in this real bedroom and it it feels like super lived in and believable and it's like that's just more cohesive i think there are like i think comparatively to every other mcu movie i think gardens of the galaxy 2 is this is my, first of all this is my second favorite mcu movie uh behind gardens of the galaxy volume 2 fair enough uh, that's that's my my hot take and i feel like they're not even similar enough to compare in all the same ways because they're really. <laughs> they're both like some of the most personal ones and and you feel that in the filmmaking so i don't want to have that kind of comparative discussion yeah um but even though like there is an overall sense of the marvel homogeneity there is i think enough again super particular stuff mm-hmm. that makes this feel more real like you see uh the first shot of I guess we'll call 616 Steven, and he, like, wakes up in his bed, and there's a radio on his bedside table. Maybe other MCU movies have radios <laughs> on the bedside tables. For some reason, for some unexplained reason, 
that radio makes me feel like, oh, this is a real person who lives here who like exactly. listens to the radio. Maybe he likes NPR. I don't know. He uses his magic to tie his tie. Uh, he goes to the wedding. Michael Stuhlbarg has a bad wig. Um, <laughs> and and like like I think the first moment of the movie, like I was already enjoying the movie up till that point. Mm-hmm. And like I was like, oh, this is cool with the like the cold open. And this is like, oh, that's interesting. They killed this version of Doctor Strange. And then like the, you know, they, he tied the tie. That feels like inventive and fun. I think yeah. the first moment where I went like, oh, this is like a real movie <laughs> is is when uh, Michael Silberg is like, and you didn't get the girl. And Rachel McAdams comes out and the sound kind of fades away. And there's like one sort of like, hmm. And it's this long lens tracking shot going, like following Steven's face as it, uh, as it like it passes by. And I think it zooms in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But something about that is, like, I don't think I've seen that in an MCU movie. And that is just, it's craft. It's knowing how to use a camera to elicit an emotional reaction. And, again, I think this movie gets, like, 85% of the way there. Right. And it is held back. But the fact that we are so deprived of this kind <laughs> of stuff, it's just, it made me so happy. Yeah, no, you know? and I was I was going to agree with that, actually, because you mentioned all the, like, tiny things about this movie that make it's you so, love it. And yeah. that's, I, I honestly share that opinion. I think it's not so much what's here, but, like, the general flavor of what's here is what mm-hmm. I love so much about it. People have talked about, like, Sam Raimi's New York. It's like, <laughs> oh, these extras are, like, someone has a bike. That's not just because they thought uh, a person's on a bike. It's like, yeah, I bet that person's on a way to do something. Exactly. Whereas in, like, whereas in, like Infinity War... They, they go to, like, Washington Square Park, and there's nobody there. And it's like, I've been to Washington Square Park. There is never nobody there. Right. Yeah, no. And there's just so many, like, I, I think I want to cite the cinematography as a big reason for this. But, like, you notice so much more about the actors' performances. Yes. And well, also, also yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. This is a, a podcast, so yeah. you're not going to see this. But you see Benedict Cumberbatch going like. Exactly. And, I and, love and, him in this. He's, he's so having, good in this. He's having a good time. This is by this is by far my favorite Benedict Cumberbatch movie. Like my favorite performance from him. Mm-hmm. Have, have you seen Power of the Dog? Not yet. I really want that to. one's really good. Okay, but, but okay, but uh, Benedict Cumberbatch doing mocap for Smog is hilarious. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> he gets I was, so into I, it. I, I, I was watching the, the those are funny clips. But I was watching the clips from the actual movie recently because I saw Desolation of Smog in theaters. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was like twelve or so, and I hadn't seen the first Hobbit movie. Before that, I think I saw it eventually, like, in, you know, uh, in, in the car at some point. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just rewatched the Lord of the Rings trilogy in full this past week. Yeah. Um, nice. I, I'm a bit <laughs> never of, like... Never seen Return of the King. Yeah, I had never <laughs> seen it. When I, when I was in middle school, I had a friend who was, like, a big into Tolkien person. Mm. And so that was, like, kind of a thing. And <laughs> I'm, like, pretty much illiterate, so I couldn't get into the books... Yeah. Uh, I like I tried to and I just I, it didn't click for me and I, so like my friends were, like watching Lord of the Rings and it was like a thing we talk about and so like through their osmosis I understood it <laughs> and I had like I got the Blu-rays as like a birthday present when I was 13 and I watched the first one and I watched the second one and then at that point I was like tired and so I just never watched <laughs> the third one and then in 2018 I said I'm gonna watch them in full I watched the first one I didn't watch the other ones. And then this past week, my mom was like, we have to watch them. So <laughs> we like committed to that. And now I've seen Return of the King in full for the first time. And then I was thinking about the Hobbit movies because I was like, people say those are bad and I haven't really seen them. Uh, 
And I remember Benedict Cumberbatch as somehow because I wanted to look up those clips. And, well, I don't actually have a take on that. I just thought it was weird. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's interesting for sure. No, but I, I do like, like the, the behind-the-scenes clips where I he's like that like he got on the so ground. Into it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I was going to ask, uh, just because uh, mm-hmm. podcasty stuff, sure. um, what are your guys' favorite scenes or sequences from this movie? Just to It flows of... very well. Yeah, it's yeah, no, one it of does. those movies that's very... That's one of the things I love about connected it. ...connected, <laughs> each scene to scene. It, um, the, the funny thing about this movie is it feels kind of like a Disney Plus show if they decided that it should... If they for once decided this one should be a movie and <laughs> cut out all the tedious bits and then made it two hours and put in theaters, that's kind of what this movie feels like. That's a good description of it, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like if Moon Knight cut out <laughs> the tedious bits and was two hours and was put in theaters that's kind of what this movie feels like yeah man i wish they would do that with half of the disney plus marvel <laughs> shows oh man um if i had to pick a favorite i would probably go with like the big uh climax like that's supposed to be that's supposed to be the big climax of the movie but like um dude the- you get you get the like the dream walking strange you get uh all of the payoffs for uh like his character <laughs> stuff throughout the screenplay i love it a lot Dude, oh yeah, okay. it's so much fun. I know, I've been, I know, I've been criticizing this movie because I want to try and bring some more like different Nuance. opinion than just sure. like you know praising it nonstop. Uh, I mean, Robbie and I like, are pretty radical. We're saying that a Marvel movie is good, right? right? <laughs> but dude, the the cape with the souls of the dead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's like and, the and, coolest thing to happen in oh cinema. God. Oh my god! And, and once again, once again, it's. It's this thing, this intuitive filmmaking thing where it's like, okay, it's not said, but like the eye is the window into the mind and the soul and stuff. Yeah. And that's a big element of this movie, and though no one ever says it. And also it's like he's got the eye of Agamotto and he's got the eye in his forehead. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but like when that happens, the <laughs> the souls are like, you know, flying around him. And I love them, first of all, because they almost look stop motion. They have this crackly (laughs) sort of feel to them where it it just it makes it feel a little bit like handmade, which is very nice. Yeah. And then they they like leap into his eyeball. Oh, my gosh. And like get inside when that happened. Yeah. And they like get inside (laughs) of him and then they like take control of his brain and they're like pulling him into like the the deep black water. And you see the like his real body and he's like in shock and like in, in yeah. sh- uh, chills and stuff and then Rachel McAdams is like oh my god what's happening and then she looks into his eye and then they're like scrolling around his Dude. eye and then they fly out Dude, and they're in that out world and then she has to fight them <laughs> oh man oh my god yeah that that is what I'm talking about that's my favorite scene or oh, sequence <laughs> yeah that that's a good one um <laughs> My my favorite scene or sequence, if there's one other than that, um, I mean, like similarly, like I love the the what we're calling the zombie strange, I guess. Oh, the, we have to talk about the music fight, the music note fight, the music note fight. I don't know how I feel about that yet. Like I don't know, I didn't love it when I first saw it in theaters, and I I still don't know if I liked it when I watched it the See, second time. I, I really like the creativity of it. Yeah, I like the idea. But of I it, feel like it's not I don't know. used to quite the effect yeah. that I would like. I think that's fair. I think with with most of the things in this movie that I love, it's like, good lord, if they could go just a little bit further with this, yeah, it absolutely. would be perfect. But also, <laughs> the fact that it exists at all makes me so happy I can kind of forgive it being a little bit, like, shortchanged. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think if the music fight was, like, 
20, 30 seconds longer and a little bit more whatever, that would, it would be like all time, you know, coolest thing ever. But it, it is just a thing of like, I've never seen that before. And that's yeah. not something to discount. <laughs> when you're watching a movie, yeah. it is nice to see something that you've never seen before. Just no, totally new. Actually, yeah. I was going to mention this earlier. I thought about this when you were talking about stuff like uh, the tying of the tie and everything. Um, I think one thing that this movie does really well that most movies, especially MCU movies, MCU movies, <laughs> the Marvel have, Cinematic Universe, a Kevin Feige production <laughs> question mark, have not really tied into well is that kind of um, Harry Potter movie type thing. Yeah, I was going to mention where it. Yeah. they use their magic <laughs> and their abilities to such a mundane. real feeling. And yeah, yes, mundane, mund- exactly. Mundane, like effect where you're like, yes, these people actually do have this. This right. feels real. Right. And and it's it's like the Alfonso Cuaron thing where the like the Chris Columbus Harry Potter movies, it's like and then a CGI tree like pops out of a thing or whatever. Yeah. And then in Prisoner of Azkaban, huh. someone just casually like flicks their finger and then a chair goes You can't see the visual, I apologize. You see the movie, it's like and it like cleans itself up. Uh and that movie Doctor Strange does have a lot of that sort of stuff and a lot of so like, like Steven, he's not the smartest person in the movie. He's not the most powerful person in the movie. He's not the coolest person in the movie. He's not the nicest person in the movie. He yeah. is not the most anything in this movie, and yet he's the main character. And what's interesting about that is that what what's interesting about him then is is that he's maybe the most resourceful person in the movie. Yeah. In in the challenge of he's not the smartest. He's not the most powerful. He's like, well, I have this bit of magic. That's a quarter of pa- as powerful as this person, <laughs> yeah. but that the person more powerful isn't as smart as I am. Um, and if there's a person who's smarter than me, maybe I'm more powerful. So it's it's this like balancing of things to get where he needs to go, and it's very like scrappy, and he feels like an underdog. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is insane that they pull that off with a character yeah. like Doctor Strange. <laughs> That's part of what makes the finale so much fun to watch. Like I feel I feel so like scared for Steven in the finale. Which is right. crazy it's like, for a Marvel it's like, movie. You feel like he's going to to like, you know, like curl up into a, a husk of a person and like shrivel up and die. Yeah. And then you feel like America, we haven't even talked about her, she's great. But yeah. you feel like she's gonna get her powers taken away. And we have like Zombie Strange and Wanda, her like her magic is like going into his like uh, skull head thing and it's like Grah! and like half his face is burnt off at the end of it. Um and and it's it's this thing where it it's yeah it just th- there's a sense to it in that in that comic booky feel where it's like nothing is precious yeah um but also we're taking this seriously it's a it's a specific and i feel like a lot of movies now do the opposite of that where it's like ghostbusters is the most amazing <laughs> beautiful thing to exist and also, if anyone found out I thought that way, I'd get a wedgie, so we're going to, like, <laughs> pretend it's lame. And what that results in are things, are, like, empty calories, things that, like, act like this is a big deal, but also we don't want to make you think it's a big deal because that would be embarrassing. Yeah. Whereas the whole Sam Raimi thing that, thank God, shines through in this movie is, like, I am okay killing off this character and do, making the hard decisions because I respect it. And I'm going yeah. to make you care about it. Exactly. And that is like, that's cooler than <laughs> uh, anything. That's what I've always loved about Sam Raimi's movies and him as a filmmaker is he always has such a big respect for 
like the way movies are made and mm-hmm. just movies as an art form. Mm-hmm. He he always commits 100% to, to what he wants to do. Yeah, to, to the bit, exactly. He commits to the bit. And that's always an admirable trait. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, actually, in, in, in the vein of, of what you brought up, because it was another one of the questions I wanted to ask. Yeah, um, go for it. While we were... Just to just to keep the the podcast a little structured. <laughs> um, Good luck. <laughs> I'm going to derail this once again. Okay, uh, okay. We we talked earlier about people thinking the script is bad. Like, okay, would you say the script for Evil Dead is bad? Because that was 14 pages <laughs> and just a sort of a like, and then this happens, and then on the day Sam Raimi is like figuring it out. Yeah. So this and it's a similar thing to like Mad Max: Fear Road, where that script is also like. Five pages, I think. Something ins- <laughs> that might be uh, embellishing a little bit, but something insane like that. It's like the script is a blueprint. It's a means to an end. It's just a thing to convince people to give you money and cameras so you can go out and like come up with it and figure it out. And it's like a movie and not like a script. Kind of yeah. reminds me of how like they did. Uh, w- uh, it reminds me of the conversations like hearing about the making of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where a lot yeah. of the sequences weren't. Yeah, exactly. Where they weren't like, no, not, I mean, they weren't impossible. writing it. Yeah. They weren't like writing it out. They weren't writing the sequences out, but they were coming up with them like with just the ideas. Naturally. Yeah, exactly. Right. No. And that always feels more interesting because then the focus is put on, the direction and the filmmaking, exactly. which is the thing you actually end up seeing. Yes. I found that like 90% of my favorite movies, <laughs> I look into them later and they're like 20% improv. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. So and, my- and, and not not to talk about myself too much, in my <laughs> experience, some of my favorite stuff I've done are things like that where it's like I kind of had an idea and then on the day I had a better idea and it feels more natural and like interesting. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, the, the, question. <laughs> the question. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a question here. Uh, what do you think of both both the inclusion and the use of the characters throughout the story of America? Because I, th- I, think, I think she's rather understated throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's not, like, bad by any means. Uh, I just think it's a very interesting use of the character. Yeah. So what do you, what do you uh, discuss? <laughs> discuss. Well, it's Rock. interesting because a lot of the a lot of her inclusion, like for most of the movie, she really just functions as a MacGuffin. Yeah, but it's interesting. I'm gonna disagree on that, but go okay, ahead. okay. But it's interesting because I don't know something about her, the way she's written and everything reflects in a very interesting way on Strange's character. It's a good, a very good team up for the well, movie. The way they open with yeah. showing the character and having like mm-hmm. her Strange. I was about to say. What, he does to her and everything on a screenplay level she functions as a MacGuffin but while I'm actually watching the movie I find myself very invested in her character which is I, I don't yeah. know it's an interesting thing to happen I don't know what, what were you gonna say Yossi I I think in, in the in the MacGuffin sense I think where that comes from is just that she has superpowers that Wanda wants to get to her annoying kids fine <laughs> that's why but yeah also it's a commentary on like Wanda is treating this young immigrant like she essentially she's an immigrant. It might be an interdimensional and <laughs> yeah. intermultiverse yeah. immigrant, but she's still like an immigrant who yeah. lost her parents and doesn't have anything and is very alone and can't trust anyone and is scared. And so first of all, that's already a compelling character. Yeah. And then we have Wanda like trying to kill her for her own advantage. And then you like you think about Wanda and you think about the Wanda characterization, uh, that's the same story. Wanda is also, lest we forget, 
an immigrant. And I think what's tragic and interesting about this movie is it, this might be a stretch, but uh, <laughs> who cares? Uh, it's, it's in part a commentary on like both the failure, uh, no, no, just like the failure of the American dream. Yeah. Right. Like, so, you know, Stephen Strange, he's uh, a doctor and we, we have that one flashback scene when he's like dating Rachel McAdams. Uh-huh. Uh, and you sort of get the sense of like, he didn't really come from money, I don't think. I and assume so. he like worked his way up and he worked really hard. And he just, he like, he worked so hard to become a doctor. And that's part of where like his arrogance comes from mm-hmm. is that he might, he thinks he's better than everyone because he maybe worked harder than everyone. And that doesn't mean that he's more skilled than everyone in the room, but he worked harder to get there than a lot of people did. And that's part of what's interesting about the first movie is that he's thrown into a similar situation where he has to like do it over again and maybe learn to become a little bit more humble. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and you know, so like, okay, in, in a 1950s version of this, it would be like, <laughs> oh, he worked hard to become a doctor and he worked his way up. He pulled himself up from the bootstraps. Uh, finally, a white man succeeds in this world and he gets the girl <laughs> and he's a successful doctor and now he has the powers of a god. Fine. Exactly. Um, but we see that that didn't work out for him and he lost that. And even if he worked the hardest, he can't get everything he wants and he has to turn to other things to become... I mean, the central question of this movie, are you happy? Yeah. Simple, super radical. Because <laughs> that's like an interesting question. Are you happy? Is this superhero life? Is that making you happy? And he's not the Sorcerer Supreme and every version of him is like... Uh, a crummy person um <laughs> and he just has to like he has to just like deal with that and it's the Sam Raimi thing of like I think like all of Sam Raimi's characters had like one thing that made them cursed forever mm-hmm. and that, that's like I don't want to get I mean this is the place to do it but I don't want to get too much into it the, the <laughs> sort of the like I think where where Sam Raimi uh, the Jewish filmmaker quote-unquote comes into play because I don't think any of his movies are like specifically about Judaism, but as yeah. someone who I think like his grandparents were right Eastern European immigrants, mm-hmm. and he grew up in the Midwest, and he probably heard stories about all these sort of things, and just like how as an American being raised in this and not quite connecting with the culture, but also you're part of it, and it's like okay, like you pass for a, a white man, and that's a thing, but at the same time, like the systems that totally brought white men into power and keep them that way don't 100% apply to you. Yeah. And I think that's a, a sort of a theme that it just it goes back to Evil Dead. It's like, here we have Ash, and he should have he should have everything he wants. He should have a nice weekend with his girlfriend in this cabin. Um, but he made one, you know, small mistake, and it wasn't really even his fault, mm-hmm. and now he's cursed forever, and he just has to deal with that. And that's like a thing that historically happens to so many people in this country. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it happens to, like, it's, like, in Quick and the Dead, you have Alicia, uh, not, wait, uh, Sharon Stone. Um, you have, and, and, like, okay, like, she had this horrible experience, and the rest of her life is devoted to getting revenge. Yeah. Uh, and you have Spider-Man, and it's, like, he's just this kid, and he's trying to do well, and he didn't want to get bit by Spider, and now he has this great power comes great responsibility. And the way that the Raimi trilogy ends, even though it wasn't supposed to be the end, but it just ends with this melancholy thing of like, all right, we'll try to work it out. It'll be messy. And even with his appearance in in the new Spider-Man movie (laughs) with Tobey Maguire, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, like, we're working things out. We're, uh, it's not perfect, but it's happening. Yeah. And that's, and 
Drag Me to Hell is maybe the most. I was about to say you, extreme this, example. This fits Drag, drag Me to Hell to a T. Drag Me to Hell is like to the character. The the <laughs> ultimate thing where it's like she's not a great person. She's she doesn't deserve this, mm-hmm. but. It's like too bad. Neither like none of the characters in the movie deserve the terrible things that happened to them, and yet they happened, and that's like real. And right. so, with in the context of Doctor Strange and the multi in the multiverse of madness and the multiverse, uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange two, um, okay, you have you have Steven, and he should have had it all, and he couldn't get it, and he has to deal with that, and now he fights monsters, and then you have Scarlet Wood, you you, you have you have Wanda Maximoff, also. Lest we forget, uh, like in the I'm not in the comics person because what do I know? <laughs> yeah. But what I do know is that Wanda Maximoff is supposed to be the daughter of Magneto, who is a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. It's it's not <laughs> unimportant to mention that in a spiritual sense, Scarlet Witch is the child of a Holocaust survivor. That means something. That means no, yeah. even even if that's not the case in the MCU, she still had a. Similarly traumatic backstory. She lost her parents, and she like you know at a at a young age, and then she lost her brother, and then she lost the love of her life, and she doesn't have anything, and all she wants is to be like the white lady in the suburbs who wears Lululemons, yeah, and she can't say, have that. I was about to say yeah. uh, with what you're with what you're bringing up, uh, WandaVision was like a great parallel to what you're talking about for just in terms of Wanda's character, like her entire vision of what her perfect world would be was like the idealized world of a sitcom. Right. And she couldn't have that. She she can't have it because the people who get to have that didn't have the experiences she's already had. And she can't undo that and she can't get past that. And even if she did have that, it wouldn't be what she really wants, which is to not have had these traumatic experiences. Exactly. And so the tragedy of Scarlet Witch in this movie is it's her last desperate attempt to get um to to get this version of a life that she can't have and what she's like what she needs to do to supposedly get that is destroy the future of another young person who had a similarly traumatic childhood who mm-hmm. yeeted her mom's into uh some unknown terrifying dimension and is now a, a refugee escaping a monster and it what it is yeah it's it's her that's the interesting commentary is that it's saying it's too late for Strange. It's too late for Wanda. Wong is his own sort of case. We have America. <laughs> she's like she's like 16 and she's already had bad stuff. She could turn out... She's super powerful and doesn't know how to control it and she's scared. And she could turn out similarly destructive and evil. And the, the beautiful thing at the end of this movie is that it's like maybe there's hope for this next generation of people who are escaping traumatic pasts and are... Well, she's in uh, not America at the end of the film yeah. so maybe that's the overall commentary <laughs> is like don't look to the american dream for this but saying maybe we can raise the next generation to be not as bad as we had it yeah because i was about to say i think america like is a really good example because like you said both of their like they kind of have similar pasts and everything for wanda and i think what strange and wanda have as like the two main forces of the movie kind of battling around america is showing kind of the differences on how she can grow up with all of that trauma and her past and with having insanely powerful abilities as both of them do and what you can become as a person because 
at the beginning of the film when she first comes in after what happened with her Steven she really she, she seemingly has just like kind of given up on everything and anything she's just universe hopping to universe hop if she can right yeah um, she has nothing she doesn't care like she just has she's just living in a bubble because she thinks everything she does is going to turn out terribly and that's yeah that's what happened to Wanda and it was her downfall and that's like legitimately tragic first of all this is a, this is the thing I haven't really seen anyone talk about. Wanda dies at the end of this movie, right? She's like uh, yeah. she's dead. Yeah, I mean she has to be, right? I mean it's an MCU movie, so she doesn't have to be. And there's a multiverse, <laughs> but like, please God, I want Elizabeth Olsen out. I think she's really great. I think there is a lot of great potential future Wanda stories. But if they do that, I will be upset. That's not the first time this. I remember yeah. seeing Iron Man three when I was again like a young person who didn't know any better. And mm-hmm. when, you know, when, when at the end of that movie, spoiler alert, when Tony Stark <laughs> takes out the arc reactor and he gets his his uh, his whole sewn up or whatever, yeah. and he throws it into the thing, I was, like, legitimately moved by that because I'm like, oh, my God, there's not going to be another Iron Man movie? Yeah. Little did I know that <laughs> they had already signed a contract to, you know, so the next six years of movies are uh, in the works. But it was that sort of thing where... I was affected as a young person who, again, didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Just feel like, oh, a real change is happening. A real thing is going down. This is meaningful and impactful. And that's worth preserving. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, when I mentioned that I thought America, like, functioned as a MacGuffin for a lot of this movie, there was a big, uh, like, although after that. But. <laughs> I really like I really enjoy her character and actually your take on the movie, like your reading of the movie with um, an idealized version of the American dream and everything is the big reason I wanted you on this episode, because I think that's such a very it's a very insightful way to read this script. Mm-hmm. And it's a very interesting way to tackle this movie as a whole, because a lot of things come to the surface when you look at it under that lens. Yeah, I was about right. to say, one of the things that really popped out to me is the way throughout, like just consistently both viewings that I had that Wanda, like, her dialogue throughout the movie is very interesting, very different from most of, like, her characterization in the rest of the MCU. Yeah. And a lot of the conversations she has and stuff about America and everything just, like, really are, I don't know, they're they're interesting, if that makes sense. They are yeah, interesting. The she, she's desperate at this point, and yeah. she's, she's done being reasonable, and also... Elizabeth Olsen is going for it in this movie. <laughs> and she's, you know, there are, like, good close-ups where you see, like, her face twitch in a certain way that is, like, mm-hmm. compelling. And you're right, it is a different characterization. It, again, there's the MC problem of, like, oh, this important thing happened in between movies <laughs> and now characters like this. Also, yeah. I think this movie is, other than, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, the MCU movie that's the most, like, contained for how many elements it pulls together. It's, like, when my mom saw it, she she was, like, I was surprised how little I need. I mean, she's seen most of the MCU movies, but still, yeah. she was like, I was surprised how little I needed to know to enjoy it. Because yeah. the interest and the intrigue and the enjoyment of the movie is dependent on things that are introduced and summed up within the two-hour runtime. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, I think if we're going to go on another little rabbit hole, it's like <laughs> comic books in general. Let's unpack that for one moment. Uh, <laughs> comic books... The, the the American superhero comic book as we know it was were essentially created by like immigrants and children of immigrants, mostly Jewish immigrants, yeah, yeah. who 
weren't allowed to like write books because anti-Semitism wasn't a, a, a big problem. Yeah. And so <laughs> it, it is a little bit funny how like a hundred years ago, you know, Jewish artists in New York were like, we want to do Broadway plays and we want to write novels and we want to be a part of high society. And they were like, no. So their alternative was to do low-level trash like Hollywood films and comic books. And now that's <laughs> the only thing that the culture cares about. It's a little bit funny. But, that is uh, funny, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is just the sort of thing to think about of like the genesis of these characters are, are that. And Sam Raimi has a connection to that. And that's not something we've seen in the MCU yet. And again, I don't think it's like a masterful sort of <laughs> deconstruction of those things, but it yeah. is an element that is totally worthy of, uh, of talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I think, I think, I think you're, I think that's a good reading of the movie. And I think it honestly plays into that kind of feeling of, again, that this more so than a lot of other MCU movies that come out is just kind of like, a real movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's it's, like a cut that makes sense. It feels like on the day they thought this shot will go into this shot in this way that like <laughs> connects with your brain and does a, you know, a, yeah. It's stimulating filmmaking. I don't know. Exactly. But yeah, I have I have I have another question. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. This one probably won't like <laughs> cause much discussion because You'd I think be surprised. It's, it's pretty it's pretty simplistic and <laughs> yeah. and what I think is a good take on it. Uh, but I know it's talked about a lot with this movie and was like a huge point of controversy for some oh, reason. Sure. Um, <laughs> the the Illuminati and the way they're handled <laughs> in the movie is is in my opinion really like really fun. I, I really am glad if they had to, which obviously they they had to. They did have to uh, put all of these characters into it. The way that they just get like brutally one by one killed off I, is beautiful. I have, I have thoughts about this. This is this is simultaneously my least favorite and my most favorite part of the movie in a yeah. weird way. Where, uh, again, first of all, the Illuminati, super fascist vibes. Let's let's <laughs> right, say it right. Like like you you get a sense of like the the magic of the MCU is the chemistry the Avengers had. Where it's like, listen, I don't want to evoke you know the guy who directed the Avengers movies, but. It's like what he was good at was making it feel like this is a real team of like interesting characters. Yeah. You don't get a sense that any of the Illuminati members have like <laughs> shook hands. Even. Right. No, you they feel don't have like any they're... chemistry. They're just there to be powerful <laughs> and to impose their dominance on it. Other right. thing, John Krasinski, bad. Bad. Yes. Bad. bad. Oh my goodness. I, I was so I was bad. so scared and it was and people were clapping because I was I, I was at the like the the uh, AMC Lincoln Center IMAX oh, no. on like Friday at two in the hour. I couldn't even get opening night tickets. Oh no! Uh, so it was like they're like Friday at two p.m. and like Friday at two p.m. People are still like, "Yay! Mm -hmm. It's John Krasinski, the thing we wanted." <laughs> but the problem with that is that the intros and uh, you know, the Mr. Fantas oh, I forgot his Reed Richards, the yeah. smartest man alive, and <laughs> the portal opens up and John Krasinski comes out and you're like, I'm not buying this for one <laughs> he does not second. Look smart, right? <laughs> the smartest man alive. He is, he is Jim from the office. <laughs> He's Jim from the office. And the problem is that he like tries to play it as the smartest man alive, and it's like Hello Steven, I think about things a lot. And you're like, No, you don't. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I love I love how they how like they've all like even uh, <laughs> Sam Raimi has commented on the fact that they were literally yeah. like essentially forced to put him in as the casting for it. And it, it, it like I, I fingers crossed the vibe <laughs> you're getting is that was just like a 
It was like both a fan service thing and a testing the waters and the test, I hope, failed. I hope so. <laughs> I'm sure Kevin Feige has heard enough comments of that was bad. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it's, it is interesting with the Illuminati. Um, again, it, it's like there, there, there are a lot of facets to it. One, I love the I believe they filmed it in the British Museum, like in the British Museum. I think you're right. Um, yeah. Yeah. By the look of uh, it. But I'm not sure any of those actors were in the same room. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. Um, I, I was trying to, like, dissect it and figure out, like, how do they shoot this? And, like, based on the dialogue, you know, it's like, okay, so they, they cut away from the person speaking here, which means that could have been an ADR. So yeah. that person, like, like they might have had other actors in consideration. Yeah. And it's like, okay, they, they cut away from Mordo, and then he says the line, and so-and-so, the person, whatever, and... You know, it's like, okay, well, Steven, there's a close-up of him saying a line, which means that that person was there early on, but then we don't see him say something <laughs> else. Or we don't, like, like, I don't think Wanda ever says Reed or Mr. Fantastic. So, yeah. like, it could have been a different character who also happened to, like, have kids. You know, it, right. could, it could have been, like, Tom Cruise Iron Man. I know that's not a thing that was going to happen, but it could, it could have been, like, you know, it's like, do you have kids? And then Tom Cruise Iron Man is like, yes. It's like, is their mother alive? Is like, you know, like, is that yeah. universe Pepper Potts alive? And it would have been like, yes. like, okay, good. There would be someone left to raise them, and then like crush the Iron Man suit. Yeah, yeah. right. Like yeah. that could have happened because of the way this movie was made, and that's like a problem with the MCU and not conducive to the whole Sam Raimi thing. Except that they get destroyed in the most beautiful ways possible. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I was like, I, I love every, like, like, that's the most of the comments I've seen, and that's literally the only reason I wanted to bring it up, because I didn't think there was too much, like, because, like, that's pretty much the only yeah. reading I feel you can grab from it, is, like, this was very forced MCU, but right. then Sam Raimi was like, okay. <laughs> okay. Like, okay, well, now that they're here, we might as well destroy them. Oh, my goodness. Lethal. The second time I watched it, when, uh... The head pops Dude, at black, the end. Black Bolt's head. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm talking about I'm talking about with Reed Richards oh, when yeah, he's yeah. unspooling, yeah. and then it gets to the head, and he and just. Then, <laughs> I'm like, "What?" It's this little like red. <laughs> and yeah. I, I try to feel like, is that his brain, or is that like Wanda's magic, like imp like exploding out yeah. from inside it? But I, I want like I want to go into detail of like every one of these kills and characters because exactly. I'm so fascinated by them. Uh, again, <laughs> let's let's okay. So we have we have a uh, uh, Blackabar Boltigan, the keeper of the Terrigen Mists. He he uh, he's a a character, uh, a, re a real character. Um, we have also that universe. Uh, one of my favorite things is that like the the Illuminati have the vibes of like ugly early 2000s Marvel comic <laughs> aesthetics. Like, like yeah. where they're like, we need something new and we have to like redesign the characters and what they come up with is something that's not as poppy or interesting <laughs> as like the 60s stuff. Yeah. It's like, like the Avengers, like we have a green guy and we have a red guy and we have a blue guy. We're good <laughs> to go. There's a purple guy that like makes sense. And the Illuminati is like, there's a gray guy and there's like a black guy and there's a person who used to be blue, but now they're like kind of steely and they like don't have any chemistry and they yeah. kind of feel fascisty. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So we have Black Boltkin. We have uh, uh, Haley Atwell as, as uh, Captain Carter. Um, yeah, dude, and we just have the fact that the Ultron, like, the, like it's Ultron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, good Ultron. <laughs> As, uh, give me a break. Um, you know, and we have, we have that universe, Captain Marvel. Yeah. And we have, um, we have, uh, Mordo, who's the Sorcerer Supreme. 
And we have Reed Richards, the smartest man alive in a Kevin Feige production, <laughs> question mark, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yes. And we have Patrick Stewart reprising his role as <laughs> Professor Charles Xavier. Yep. Um, I like that he had the yellow wheelchair in the green suit. That was yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so, am I missing anyone? Is that all of them? No, that's, all, that's all of them. Yeah, he's, okay. he's like so, 90, though, man. Let the guy ride. <laughs> he already was killed off, like, three times. <laughs> um, it was so funny, though, like, when he, like, walks in a, in the... He's, like, wearing a turtleneck and, like, turns around and is like, I'm walking now. That was cool. That was both cool and funny. Uh, so, so, so the thing about all of these... All of these characters and and kills and stuff is that it is just like like they admitted like they wanted to have uh, the wasp in there you know it's like they could have mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what interests me is the way Wanda comes in and she's in like the mom jeans and she has <laughs> she has the the like the oil blood on her yep. face in the pattern first we haven't even talked about some of the best filmmaking in the movie which is the uh, the the you know the fall of Kamataj. Uh, mm. We'll get to that later, oh, yeah. even though it happens earlier. So good. <laughs> but but yeah, so she has like the the oil blood on her face, and you know it's like Black Bolt can kill you with one word, and it's like, it's like opening, it, and she's like, "What mouth?" And then he, it's like oh, close up of his eyes, and it like goes out, and he ha- it's like the Matrix, and he has you know, and there's like yep. good like stubble. I wonder if that was a makeup effect or not, because there was like um, the with uh, the makeup designer of the movie who designed Zombie Strange. I forgot his name. I feel bad. He has done some great work. He's done um, Venkna for the new season of Stranger Things, mm-hmm, and yeah. he designed the Green Knight in the Green Knight, and he did um, the I haven't watched Game of Thrones, but the bad guy. I was in that. about to say, yeah, I was about to say he did Game of Thrones too, but yeah, yeah. So he's a really exciting uh, <laughs> artist. But anyway, so so yeah, so so and then and then and then Black Bolt he screams, but he has no mouth. So mm-hmm. the Terrigen Mist, I suppose, has to go somewhere, and his the back of his skull pops out My and goodness. implodes and his eyes bulge out and bleed and blood comes out of his nose and he falls to the ground. Oh my <laughs> God. Just no, and, how, how, and that feels, how? Oh. That feels like such a, that feels like such a, like a, like a, again, like a real movie moment. Cause again, yes. like, it, it, it invokes again with like the, what mouse, like it invokes the matrix pretty clearly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, like, it's like, I don't care about Black Bolt. My apologies <laughs> at all. <laughs> but because of the way that that movie moment happened, I now care about him simply because that was an effective piece of, of movie. Yeah, right? right? And I don't know. I like that. That's probably my favorite of the the, the kills of the Illuminati yeah. just because it looks cool. It yeah. is cool. Right. It's a it, cool, it, like, the what mouth is like. Oh, what mouth? She doesn't, she <laughs> she, doesn't she's do slick. a whole she knows lot she's of... Slick. She doesn't do a whole lot of rewriting <laughs> reality in the movie, actually, and it yeah. kind of made me a little disappointed with her power. She's usually just like blast, blast, blast. But that would have been boring. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm saying I like I like the I like the rewriting of reality stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it's in like other fights, like the Kamataj mm-hmm. fight, um, mm-hmm. that she's mm-hmm. more just like yeah, yeah. But I love that she actually got a chance to like shine with a lot more of her like actually like really cool powers in terms yeah. of just being able to completely like obliterate them all in two seconds. But but she has to do it in a way that that shows them that they're not gonna like you know it's like <laughs> it's one thing to shoot a red blast out of your hand and then black bolt is dead. It's another thing to know how he's planning to kill you and then reversing that in a way that's like scary. Right. right? Oh Though I God. think and it's so funny that like when John Krasinski walks forward, <laughs> his arms are like crossed. He's like, 
Black Bolt here could <laughs> kill you in one word. <laughs> and yeah, and then Black Bolt gives a little smirk and he's like, "What mouth?" And then it's like a close up and it's like, "Whoa!" Oh and then I, like, I, I and I look again. It's like it's the like. It, this is a strong thing to say, but like the psychology <laughs> of it, where it's just like Black Bolt is so freaked out that he forgets. Like, like he, like right. that man has so much restraint that his entire life he hasn't like been able to talk. Yeah, right. and he this killed is his parents with ac- when he was like accidentally. Oh, oh right. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's like I, scarred from not making it, like from making noise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, so yeah, but like he's had so much, and that again, that was when he was like, like twelve. So he's like growing up. So. Let's say he's had like 25 years to like basically say very few words yeah. um, and make very few noises with his mouth. And he's had like that, like that's a serious rewriting of the human brain to control Absolutely. yourself in that way. And the fact that what Wanda did freaked him out so much that he let all of that <laughs> go and it killed him is like more powerful than any superpower it's like that kind of manipulation yeah right absolutely and then that's that's why it's the because like like the other kills they're pretty cool i think the patrick stewart one is like really cool yeah Um, yeah yeah but like i mean mr fantastic he just kind of unwinds (laughs) (laughs) oh and like how do you come up with that it's like it's like again like how do you write that on paper it's like yeah okay so she like throws out her hand and he (laughs) goes up and he stretches out and then he turns into like string cheese and then his like head pops like that's not a thing you come up with that's just like i don't i don't know yeah and then like you Um, have captain marvel which for some reason she just gets like i don't understand why she just gets like crushed crushed. like why didn't she move yeah uh that that's one of those things that's like it's not as impactful but it is interesting that she's crushed by a giant statue. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's of her or of like some sort of like mythic god or something. Yeah, it's like, yeah. You think you're the pro- as, uh, she's introduced as like the protector of the universe, and yeah. you have this giant god statue. And it's like no, you're crushed <laughs> now. Yeah, no, I didn't notice that actually the first time I watched it, but on the rewatch, I was like, it literally, she is cra- she's crushed right under the skull of like this insanely large statue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then it's uh, saying like you're insignificant. Yeah, exactly. And then Agent uh, Pe- Agent Carter, Peggy Carter, <laughs> she just gets uh, she just gets like sliced in half. Slight, which doesn't I, even, I wish it showed. I, this movie no, no, isn't no. rated I, R. I was, but I, wish I was it thinking. I was thinking about that. I think I don't know if it's a censor thing. Um, I I like that it didn't show it because it it's it's the it's the like the psycho shower scene thing mm-hmm. where you don't see her get stabbed but you feel the impact of everything exactly. happening that what you imagine is way worse than what they could yeah. put up on screen and I was that's about going to, say, to be like you a better effect. when you mentioned that the second time around when i watched it i was like dude i just felt that yeah. <laughs> and all we all we can see is just like her, like face, her face and shoulders yeah and you know that she's been <laughs> cut in half and and like you don't even you don't even see like her torso fall to the ground exactly you see her fall out of frame and maybe like hear it and you're like that's disgusting exactly <laughs> yeah. it's like like the shot is just her on a green screen but you feel like that's <laughs> oh that's terrible exactly it's that's just, a terrible way to go out there's just so and i keep coming back to this but it's really the like one of the big reasons i love it so much there's just so many small moments of this movie that like just that. make me so happy and make me yes. feel like someone put so much thought and love they, into this movie. They, they didn't. They didn't care. Sam Raimi didn't care that your Marvel <laughs> fan theories aren't being met. Sam Raimi cared that when you were watching the movie, you go, "Ah ha ha, yes!" Exactly. Right? Which happens so many times. And and the thing, that whole scene again, it just it kind of reeks of like shot on the green screen. Didn't know what they were gonna have. Yeah. Figured it out in post. The lines for, pause for clapping. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Uh, 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 mm. 
And there, there's one shot in the fight scene that, again, it's this little thing where for some reason that it makes it feel like a real movie, even though the rest mm-hmm. of the scene doesn't feel like that. There's a shot where she's about to get Captain Marvel, where or Captain Carter, excuse me, where, uh, pardon me, where Captain <laughs> Carter is running across and it's like it gets quiet and there's a sort of like a long lunge shot and you just see like the bottom half of her, first of all. Good setup to like yeah. uh, oh, man, illustrate yeah. like her being in two parts. That's good filmmaking. <laughs> but something about that shot is like, a little bit shaky, and you know that they were in a real space of some kind because you know it's it's like that that thing where in uh, the new Spider-Man where they they wanted to do like the Raimi uh, a dolly zoom vertigo shot, mm-hmm. but they didn't do that. And people 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 <laughs> like there are two camps to that where some people are like, well. Uh, you know, oh, this is so bad because they're not in a real set, and so it doesn't make sense, and it it's not a real thing. And yeah. there are some people being like, well, with special effects and with green screen, you can still do that. The key thing, which I've only seen one person mention, is that both of those are valid, except for the fact that they didn't do an actual zo- dolly zoom against the green screen, exactly, which still would have distorted the face. It's just mm-hmm. it, it feels like a Ken Burns thing where <laughs> yeah. it's like they're they're like it zooms in a, a tiny bit on the actual like Spider Man, and then the background just like expands, and yeah. it's like that's not a recognizable thing. And yeah. again, like if this were like Speed Racer or something, well, there's a comment <laughs> being made. But this is trying to say, we're trying to replicate a thing that exists and we're not doing it. Um, so again, <laughs> it's it's the sort of thing, and, and there's a better version of that in, in this movie shortly after this. But mm-hmm. yeah, something about that shot of, of Captain Carter just like running, it's it's like they thought about it. And they, exactly. they placed the camera and Sam Remy knows how to use a camera to make you feel something, um, <laughs> and then and then of course the final kill of uh, of of Patrick Stewart as he's trying to save Wanda in her mind and Scarlet Witch. There's like a red cloud and she jumps up behind him, <laughs> and this is so quick you can't even see it unless you pause it. But like in her uh, mind vision thing, she is full on a monster. She has like yeah, white so- skin and sharp teeth and glowing red eyes, and she has like <laughs> become the scariest version of herself. Exactly. And she like snaps his neck and then you you cut to like the the not mind the real world yeah. and Patrick Stewart is like oh and he like collapses and he's dead yeah no and I saw I saw and he'll be back in a, the next movie <laughs> <laughs> I saw somebody make a joke about the fact that like if Sam Raimi had had full control she would have looked like that the whole movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have been interesting yeah yeah uh, but yeah, no. Do you have? Uh, do you guys have any uh, questions? Because I just wanted to bring that up because I think that's a very interesting point in the movie in terms of just like kind of its peak MCU ness, yes. while also really kind of how, it undoes it though. How Sam Raimi kind of dealt with that on a filmmaking level. Yeah, yeah, uh, I yeah. It, to talk about the MCU is to open up uh, a can of worms that people. <laughs> Both smarter and dumber than the three of us have <laughs> gone into in great detail. Yeah. Uh, do I have anything new to say about the MCU? No. Um, <laughs> I They kind of mean something to me. I'm getting worried. I'm getting a little tired. I have enjoyed all of this stuff. Um, but I think an important key thing is that the MCU movies, I enjoy them. They don't inspire me on a creative level. Yeah, I don't. I don't see. Uh, you know, I have to. I have to pick out which <laughs> one I'm gonna talk about. I don't. I don't watch Ant Man and the Wasp 
and think, <laughs> oh, this is so, uh, this is a clever use of filmmaking. I want to <laughs> implore something like that in my work. Yeah, yeah. The exceptions being, of course, like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and this movie. And like, you know, they're like bits and pieces here and there. There's good stuff in Black Panther. Uh, yeah. There's good stuff in, all of them have like good bits. Yeah. But to fully sustain that thing for an entire movie is not something the MCU really has. And this movie more or less has it, at least has the most of it. And yeah. it's like, that's exciting. It's like, it's like, I think, I think about this movie. Exactly. Well, yeah, see, and, and, I, and I think, I think the old MCU movies kind of had that a bit more. I think really they've yeah. only become quite as soul suckingly dry since streaming became big. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> yeah. There, there's something to that. There's something to that. Um, and I think just general trends of filmmaking um, and, and who's making them and yeah. what is the goal and just what are the constraints. And I part of me has to think that, like, the production of these things can be soul-sucking. I mean, everyone who's worked on them is like, oh, I had a great time. Again, not to talk too much about my own sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I was a, a production assistant on <laughs> this low-budget movie last summer in Montana, it, a low, you know, again, low budget thing. And yeah. one of the makeup designers was a makeup designer on Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh. And oh. so, you know, there's like a picture of her in one of the Marvel office bathrooms of her like <laughs> doing the Mantis makeup, right? Yeah. And, and she was like, oh yeah, it was a cool experience and it was interesting. And so she was like doing the makeup for one of the actors and it was like just like a gash on his forehead. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, the the thing the thing I found interesting was that regardless of the direction or the acting or the cinematography or how the movie's going to end up as a whole, what this makeup designer was so excited about is like that looks really good. I'm really happy about yeah. this. Yeah, and that's like that's her job and that's what it means to her and she's doing it well. And so it's important to think about that when we talk about like when when people who don't have any knowledge of the film industry <laughs> talk about Marvel movies, which is all of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when when they talk about this sort of stuff, is like how does a movie get made and what are people thinking about? Um, so so I I also want to be careful about that, but it is it is just the sort of thing of like if I were a thing that haunts me and I think about this so often is when Edgar Wright left Ant Man, his yeah. his like his mic drop his mic drop comment about it was I wanted to make a Marvel movie and I don't think Marvel wanted to make an Edgar Wright movie. And yeah. and there's there's something to that where it's like a, as much personality and voice as you might have, and as good of a director as you might be, it's like <sighs> I've seen Creed. I know Ryan Coogler can direct action scenes better than what happened in Black Panther, yeah, and that's really frustrating. Not I think that's a problem on Ryan Coogler because I think he's really talented and one of the best directors of his generation. But it's then frustrating to see this process dilute what I know these filmmakers are exactly. capable of. Yeah. And that even th- that happened on this movie. I love Multiverse of Madness. I know it's not what Sam Raimi is fully capable of. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. an example where it shined through the most and it made me happy. Yeah, I think I think that's what makes the MCU such an interesting topic in terms of talking about filmmaking on a whole because <laughs> like because like people people put work into this. People put love yeah. into these movies. Absolutely. People people love working on people stuff like People try really hard. It's and, it's it's, it's it's kind of it's kind of like you have the people actually making the movie 
the kind of people in charge of making the movie. A Kevin Feige then, production. No, no, no. <laughs> and, then, and then the people who are like controlling the people in charge of making them. And it's these mm-hmm. people who dilute these people that end up making these people's work feel more diluted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like people have varying opinions on this. I love the costume designs in Marvel movies. I think that's one of their strongest things. Interesting. I just, yeah, no, I, I, I don't, for some reason, I'm really struck by like all the costumes in Marvel movies. They, they always sort of feel like, oh, this is like how this kind of outfit would come together in this world. Yeah. There, there's that meme of like the, the super like detailed militarized whatever, but <laughs> it's like, listen, we have to maintain some sort of idea of how this kind of thing looks. Yeah. And in this movie, it's like the the Doctor Strange outfit is like these kinds of robes put together. It's like it feels like an outfit. Yeah. And yeah. it happens to be like graphic and iconic and interesting to look at, but it feels like an outfit and like someone worked really hard on that and I think it paid off and I like all the little like beads that are sewn into the fabric and and all that stuff and sometimes it shines through and sometimes it's like this is desaturated and flatly lit and what are they even doing? You have $200 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it honestly, like, because I know a lot of people are really weird with the MCU. A, a lot of it's film Twitter, terrible place to be. <laughs> oh, in general, yes. <laughs> um, and people get so, like, weird and mean and kind of back and forth in their cultural war about these what, movies. Once again, the MCU does not need our defense. They are right. doing yeah. fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think I think it's something that people kind of forget about when looking at movies like these in general. Is just that there is a lot of craft put into them no matter mm-hmm. what. It's, like, people sorry, are working finish your thought, these. but I have a... Um, but what makes them, what what gets me is I feel usually like really sad watching an MCU movie that feels this way. <laughs> oh, yeah, because like I'll I'll watch a movie like this and end up feeling kind of sad and disappointed because it's not everything that I know it can be from the right. really talented people working right. on it. Even even some of the worst like 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 more worse ones in the MCU. Like take something like Ant Man and the Wasp. That movie is kind of. Eh, <laughs> it's fine. Great. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's bad. It's I don't think but it's, it's but it's fine. And like with that fine quality, it ends up becoming one of the most forgettable movies I've ever seen in my mind. And that yeah. makes me sad because I like they're, those they're, characters and I like the people working on them. And I like the characters. I like the dynamic. I love it when the building shrinks and it had like the thing <laughs> the turns into handle. a thing. You put, that, I love when Paul Rudd <laughs> is like kindergarten size. Those are yeah. amazing things. I don't think about them a lot because like the whole like. If those were in a movie that was constructed in a way and crafted in a way, those would be like standout great movie moments. Right. Exactly. Like if this, yeah. movie, like if that movie was like made in the eighties, it would be like iconic. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because those are like really good ideas. Like again, these people are having really good cinematic ideas, and something about the whole system doesn't allow it. It's it. So I don't know how many people know this for the <laughs> listeners out there. There is a uh, a film director by the name of Martin Scorsese. He's <laughs> he's done some notable work, and he's really talented. No, he hasn't and seems really like done much. He's uh, <laughs> a cool guy. Uh, he made this movie Hugo ten years ago or so. Great yes. film. Uh, anyway, so so he wrote an op ed in the uh, so okay. I don't know how many people know this. Newspapers are back, back before the internet. You would have to get your news on a piece of paper, and one of the biggest newspapers in America is called the New York Times. And an op-ed is where a person comes in and expresses 
an opinion that they have, and it's not like journalistic integrity yeah. so much as it is just someone knows someone at the New York Times. Yeah. Marty <laughs> talked about Marvel. Well, actually, no. What he was talking about was Federico Fellini, a great filmmaker. <laughs> and he yeah. was saying, when you go to see a Fellini movie, which I've done this week, I saw, I don't know how we're, we're going to talk about this later, but I saw uh, Knights <laughs> of Kabiria. Fantastic yeah. film. It feels special. It feels like an event. Uh, all this stuff. Um, when when he went to see that, I, I can't remember if he was talking about going to see Eight and a Half when he was a young person, like around our age. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been Eight and a Half. And he was like, this was an event and people talked about it and it was really cool. And then he's talking about the MC movies, which is, uh, this was written like December 2019, People have not shut up about the Scorsese <laughs> thing, which means it's it's uh, it's struck a chord with them. <laughs> right. Clearly, yeah, he was onto something. <laughs> he was onto something because the Marvel man, the Marvel fans are mad. Uh, uh, so so yeah, so what? And in that article, if you actually read it, he's like, it's not that they're even poorly made, which some mm-hmm. people would argue that they are. He's like, it's just it's disposable. He's saying like a lot of talented people work on this, and you need to like. No one, hardly anyone, pretty much no one sets out to make a bad movie because yeah. you have to work super, like harder than anyone else to make <laughs> a bad movie. And you need to work harder than that person to make a good movie even. Yeah. <laughs> so like the fact that a Marvel movie exists is an amazing feat of organization and, you know. Yeah, the cinematic universe is insanely impressive if you think yeah. about it. Just just like from a, like a logistical standpoint, like how do you put that together? But a victim of that is that it's disposable. And, you know, I think I made a, a joke earlier about, I don't know if I made this joke earlier. I was like, okay, so I saw I saw Doctor Strange on Friday early afternoon. At that point, it's like no one cares about it anymore. Because yeah. the point of the Marvel movies is you see them, well, now they're showing on Thursday at like four in the afternoon, which is silly. Because <laughs> people have like work and people have school and they can't go at four in the afternoon. You're making it for literally like the children now. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, uh, my apologies. I don't want to offend anyone out there. I don't know your life, and I respect your decisions, probably. If you're going to see, say, Thor Love and Thunder at 4.30 in the afternoon this coming Thursday, why? <laughs> I will not I, I'm, be. E- I'm even, like, like not super happy with myself, because I'm going to see it at, like, 7, you know. But it's, like, 4 <laughs> in the afternoon, it's just because you have to be the first person to see it, and they have it at 4 yeah. now. Anyway, um... But yeah, it's like the thing about MC movies, and you see this with the show, and you see this with streaming. We even see this with like the Star Wars stuff now. I didn't watch Obi-Wan Kenobi. I have no opinions on that. I watched the first episode. I didn't watch the second episode. I have no opinions on it. No yeah. thoughts. Head empty. Uh, y- you, have, you have this thing where it's just people work so hard on these movies, and they are irrelevant by the time the next one comes around. And that's part of why they need to keep cranking them out. But the more they crank them out, the more they get diluted and the more they mean less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it is it is just this issue of you're spending two hundred million dollars and double that for marketing, say. Oh, man. Um on a thing that is supposed to keep the company afloat for a month and a half. <laughs> yeah. On like a I'm not a businessman, but even <laughs> I know that's not a good business model. <laughs> How do they keep doing that well, that's it's... why they keep releasing more and more faster and faster and they release <laughs> tv shows and they really <laughs> oh man they honestly i think 
and and again, I'm no I'm no businessman. I'm no yeah. By the way, we don't know how to like deal economics. with finance. You know, <laughs> um, we're we're just like we are ill prepared for anything economic in the slightest. <laughs> I think Disney has kind of worked themselves into a corner with oh, Disney Plus. Oh yes, <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> they have. They've, they've made an entire ecosystem for themselves that relies on them putting out a million things all the time that it's like Netflix. everybody and it's backfiring exactly <laughs> they, they, they 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 committed to focusing on streaming what like <laughs> six months before Netflix is like all right this experiment <laughs> is failing we can't maintain this it's not working here's a question why didn't the Chip and Dale movie go to theaters right That's would they have would they movie. have lost would they have made more money not doing that because if, like, if we're going to be super cynical and say Disney is all about the money, would they not have made more money if they put the Chip and Dale movie in theaters? That's my right? question. They, I, and I can't help but think that the or answer like, would be that they would or make like more Pixar money. movies even. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have not seen Luca. I have not seen Turning Red. Not because I'm not interested, but because there's like a small messed up part of me that thinks maybe if I wait, they'll put in theaters, but they won't. I They're would love right. to see Luca in theaters oh, man. so bad. Luca would rock Luca in is the theater. Su- Luca is such a visually good looking movie too, and it's. Just I not... bet it is, but I'm never gonna see it apparently because <laughs> I'm bad at watching streaming movies. And like again, there's so many Netflix original films that I really want to see, but I just don't have the, like, the kind of self-control to be like, all right, I'm going to sit down and watch this Netflix movie because, like, it's there and it's available and it, like, it bends to my whims and my whims are to keep putting them off. <laughs> so, again, it, it the Disney Plus thing is that it feeds on the culture of the sort of the obsessive-compulsive, I have to see this thing because I'm committed to the brand. Yeah. Um, and I have to uh, do this and you're only going to watch it if, you have cleared out your schedule every Wednesday to tune in to Obi-Wan Kenobi, even <laughs> though every time I go on Twitter, like the past six weeks, people are like, well, another terrible 45 minutes spent on Disney Plus. <laughs> right. Why are you doing that? <laughs> no, and, and what Disney is really going to, what I think they're going to run into, I mean, they already started running into mm-hmm. it, is the more they put these out and the more it affects the quality because they're just getting put out so much and so yeah. fast. Uh, the more people are just gonna lose interest. Like, yeah. Like so many people, even Star Wars fans that I know. Like, I mean, I I used to be like the biggest Star Wars fan in the world. I'm I don't. I mean, anymore. I I believe that you love Star Wars. <laughs> I don't think you could have been the biggest Star Wars fan in the world. Okay. okay that right. is an impossible. Like, this is not a comment on your moral. <laughs> I see that. That means nothing to me. This is not a comment on your character or your dedication to this this brand and these characters. <laughs> this is just a simple fact that I don't believe... There, there's one person who is perhaps the biggest fan of Star Wars in the world, and I don't think we could or would want to know them. Exactly. Okay, <laughs> hyperbole. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, I digress. Um, <laughs> uh, and, like, I know so many, so many big Star Wars fans who just... And a lot of them are on Twitter. Could care, <laughs> could care less at this point. Because, like... They're like, oh yeah, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. They're they're here. Well, they're not here. They're on the volume. They're uh... <laughs> yeah, right. And then, and then they're just like, yeah. <laughs> it's, so like, it's it, it's like it's like social media. It's like Twitter. It's like you see a funny tweet, and every now and then you're like, oh, that's a well crafted joke. And then you see something that's like. That's interesting. That's a funny picture. I like this dog. <laughs> what have you? And then you scroll past it. And exactly. And you're, it's just supposed to sustain you until you get to the next dog you like to take you know, a picture of. Um, and and it's this. It's the and that's the disposable thing. And I think the interesting thing about streaming and Netflix is that the Netflix. Well, okay, like the MGM business model in the 40s and 50s 
what it is really is it's like we have a brand and we make, say, these kinds of musicals or dramas and people know, oh, it's an MGM musical. They have money. They have stars. Let's yeah. go to, to the picture house and spend our hard-earned 15 cents <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, and it makes a million dollars, which back in that day is That's like, insane. You, you can buy California with that. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> now, with the Netflix business model is, and, and, and by the way, like, the thing about that is the movies have to, like, have quality and be good because, you know, people are leaving their houses to go see it and they have to recognize the MGM brand when they're not at home. With yeah. the Netflix business model, what Netflix is what Netflix gets money from is if you're on Netflix. If yes. you're staying on Netflix, then Netflix is getting money. And that's how social media works. You know, it's like it's, yeah. it's training your brain to keep scrolling Twitter even though you're tired and you don't like what's happening <laughs> and, you know, all your friends have gone to bed. <laughs> it's not good. It's not healthy. Yeah. Um, but so with Netflix, it's like we have to make something that will keep people on Netflix. Let's have this actor. Let's have this director. Let's have this TV show. Let's buy Arrested Development. Let's <laughs> make Stranger Things, uh, whatever it is now. Yeah. Um, gosh, the last episode of Stranger Things, season you, four, is going to be as long as a Harry Potter uh, two and movie. And half movie. Two and a half <laughs> hours. But also the insane thing about that, we're recording this, by the way, on July 1st. Um, yes. when the Stranger Things drops. I've only seen the first three episodes of the fourth season, so I'm behind. <laughs> but they, uh, they're they like, the Duffer Brothers apparently uploaded the final visual effect. Like, 20 shots in the finale were mm -hmm. the final visual effects were uploaded yesterday morning, oh which means goodness. that they're not even in the Netflix server yet. So the people who, <laughs> like, stayed up till 2 a.m. to watch the finale... Um, we're seeing shots that were like 99% complete, yeah. which probably isn't a big deal, but also it's insane. That That's is crazy to me. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it's, they're trying to keep it on Netflix. And then if Disney is following a similar business model, once again, full disclosure, I don't know anything about business. I just know <laughs> what sounds stupid to me. Uh, even if it's good business, I still think it's stupid. Um, yeah. With Disney, it's like, listen, we have Bambi, we have Finding Nemo, we have Winnie the Pooh, we have a uh, Teen Beach movie, <laughs> we have Blackish, and we have Star Wars, and we have the Jean Cousteau movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> you will give us $8 a month or so, and you can have access to that, um, but you're going to get tired of that, despite... You're, you're not going to get tired of Bambi, because Bambi was made from the perspective of you're going to have to go to, out of your house to see this. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and because of that care and craft and dedication, it makes something that endears itself to you and is rewatchable. But um, they believe they have to have more, I guess. So, <laughs> so now they have to keep making more stuff, but it's not as good. So they keep... It's just... It's a uh, vicious I think, cycle. I think my brain is falling apart at this point. Actually, <laughs> so you guys talk for a moment while I collect myself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I was gonna I was gonna wrap this around. Tie, tie I think, it back I think around. This is, I think this is a good conversation in terms of where where Disney and and is right now and how it actually does tie a lot. In into my the opinion, problems. a bad place. And the problem is that <laughs> it's not a bad place in the, sense that, in the sense that the company is suffering. It's in a bad place in that the culture is suffering because they have all the money exactly yeah. yeah so i think i think where this leaves us uh, and and it kind of definitely plays into a lot of the problems and like really the main things that i think plague multiverse of madness in terms of 
the things that I don't like about it, the things that pull me out of watching the mm-hmm. movie, because there, again, we've we've talked about it for quite a bit now on how many good, real, nice, tangible moments are in this movie. Juicy how many, stuff. How many? Yeah. Fun we haven't things. even talked about the moment where Wong says, "Sorcerer is." <laughs> Fortify, fortify your, your mind. And then Wanda's <laughs> looking around and she finds the one guy who's a little bit scared and then it goes slow and quiet. Yeah. And then Wanda oh, so like, floats behind him <laughs> and then comes back in and she says, run. And then he does and bumps Dude. a lot of people. He knocks, I was about to say, he knocks over like five he people. Knocks, oh my God. That's like a fantastic moment and then and then later when she's trapped in the mirror dimension <laughs> and she has to throw a thing oh and it's like whatever and then again like I held my breath and I got chills when yep. her hand reaches in towards <laughs> oh, the mirror and it turns so into cool. water yes. and then and the then reflection thing yeah I, I, I have like and then two more highlights of that is that she she finds like a slightly reflective surface that gong and she mm-hmm. uh, it's, it also feels kind of like stop motionist where she's like her body's like breaking and forcing uh-huh. itself through this like half reflective surface and she gets out, and then the cool thing, the, uh, again, like a, a great detail that isn't important and nobody notices, and it, you hardly can tell where you're watching, when Doctor Strange, like, it looks like he shoots snakes out of his hands for yeah. Wanda to fight. Yeah. What's so cool about that, I didn't notice this on the first time, but the second time I noticed it, um, those aren't snakes, those are hydras. And whenever she shoots <laughs> a, a, a Wanda blast at them and, like, hits one in the head, two more heads oh my grow out of it and she keeps fighting them <laughs> and again this is like on screen for a solid seven seconds but right? just the thought and care that strange's defense that's smart he could have yeah. thrown a snake at her but then the snake would be dead he threw a hydra at her so that it keeps like growing so that he would have a little bit more time to get america out of there right oh, and man. then and then america gets scared and they get like sucked through the star portal and they have that great like minute long sequence where they're flying through all the different dimensions <laughs> and it's like there's a paint dimension and there's a film noir like the dimensions yeah. don't even make sense you know like my whole thing with multiverses dimension. is like is like if multiverses are real and they're like close <laughs> to each other the multiverse you might go to next is one where in 2008 you sneezed half a second before you sneezed in this <laughs> right, dimension right. and yeah. maybe that had real consequences but also maybe it didn't so, yeah, so the idea yeah. of like multiverse movies where it's like Phineas and Ferb, where it's like in this one a big thing yeah. happened, that's a little bit like silly. I mean, it's fun, but it's like silly to me. Yeah. Um, but then Sam Raimi goes even further, where it's like, what if there's a dimension where it's a cartoon of a film noir, where like your vision <laughs> of the reality has film scratches on it, exactly, and yeah. like you know machine gun sound effects. That would be a terrible existence to live in, but with his imagination, it can be real. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's. <sighs> Man, there's just there's so much to love about no, this and, movie. No, and that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. this movie is just like outstandingly fun. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's so fun in all of its different um, elements, and yet it still like again it, it yeah. for me it, it still ends up being very it feels a little held back. Hollow, and it kind of makes this weird like push and pull, and and that's yeah. good. I'm glad that there's a push mm-hmm. and pull, and that it's not just another. It's pushing MC some movie. envelope. It's memorable. It's very memorable. Like you exactly. said, I'm thinking about it. I'm talking about it. I'm not just like gonna forget it in five minutes. I was I was compelled to text you at one a.m. and say, <laughs> "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Can I be on this episode?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was gonna bring up actually. You mentioned the kind of hollow feeling, and it, it, honestly, my problem, like my one of my only problems with this movie, because honestly, I, I gave it like a nine out of ten or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty darn close to perfect. I love it. Um, 
but I have a very similar problem to this uh, with this movie as I do with something like Drag Me to Hell. Not as much. Um, yeah. It's not as extreme in Drag Me to Hell, but it's kind of that same feeling. Um, that sort of hollowness that a lot of mo- more recent Sam Raimi projects have had. I haven't seen uh, Oz the Great and Powerful It's yet. not on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, for some reason it's not on Disney+. Plus. I wonder if they're embarrassed about that one. Right. right. But yeah, like it's... There's this feeling when I watch Drag Me to Hell that I'm like, I wish it was pushing everything just a little bit further. I wish he, he Drag- had just dialed it up just one Drag Me to Hell more. is interesting. My my, my yeah. takeaway from that is both that, like, it feels a little bit more generic. Uh, it feels a little bit more coverage than most Sam Raimi movies. It doesn't feel like yeah. every shot is as, as thought out yeah, as, as usual yeah. until, like, we're not going to spoil that one because it's, it's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. But but until like the last 10 minutes or so where it gets full on Sam Raimi and that's like obviously the most amazing. And you're like, oh, he could have done this. <laughs> and so it's a little bit frustrating to see yeah. that he didn't do that. But at the same time, his big comment is that like working in a bank in California is as close to hell on earth as there probably is. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. Exactly. No. And I, that's another thing. I, I think these are actually very similar movies in my brain. The way I think about them mm-hmm. is like drag me to hell has technical things that I don't enjoy as much about it as I do some of Sam's other work. Yeah. But uh, it makes up for it a lot in the way it writes its screenplay. A lot of mm-hmm. the thematic stuff that's there with the economy and everything. It's a, it's a really interesting movie. And mm-hmm. even though it's cinematically not as dialed up as I want it to be, right? Um, I still like enjoy thinking about it and love picking apart all of its little moments, right? And that's that's kind of how I feel about Multiverse of Madness. I wish it had pushed its filmmaking boundaries just a little bit further. Mm-hmm. But for it, what it like, is, there's some there's some shots yeah. where I'm like, hold that for a second longer. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe like again, like dial this like it, in Dragon Maid House, like dial this up from a seven to a nine, please. And yeah. in Multiverse of Madness is like dial it up from an eight and a half to a 10, please. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's so much there. And like I mentioned, I love your reading of this movie. I think it's really mm-hmm. insightful and it's, it's something that has brought me a new appreciation for this screenplay and everything. Yeah. I, I still don't, I still don't understand the hate for this screenplay. I get it's very I, jumpy I, and well, it's, but, it's, it's funny when, uh, when I, <laughs> I don't think this is the reason, but when I saw it, there was a dude sitting next to me, uh-huh. uh, and at the end, he said, <laughs> well, you know, I thought it was, it, it was a bit too feministic for my likes. <laughs> what? What yeah. does that mean? What a does bit that even too, mean? <laughs> it's like, I guess because a woman, you know, speaks, uh, <laughs> that it's like, I don't, I, I don't know what it means. I guess there's like, you know, there's some girl power and whatnot. And there's girl you're suppo- power. You're supposed and... to look at a woman and think, hold on, this is a, a person. A person? Thoughts and feelings? I don't think, I don't Question think that's what mark. you're supposed to. <laughs> that's not I, how that goes. I'm not comfortable with that. That threatens my masculinity. Uh, so, so I don't think that's the reason why this screenplay is getting hate. I just thought that was a funny tidbit. Oh, also I saw this movie in theaters twice. Uh, first time was in the IMAX. Second time was on 35 millimeter. I saw a, that. I was gonna bring that up because uh, I'm yeah, so what, jealous. What, what did you want to say about that? Or just, just uh, I was just, I was just gonna say the fact that you saw a Marvel movie on 35 millimeter is so to. funny to me. I thought I, ha- I thought <laughs> this is a rare experience. I, I owe it to myself to do this. So I caught like the last yeah. screening at the uh, the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> cool place, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and and it was interesting um, to see a Marvel movie 
on 35 millimeter. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's like the cleanest film print I've seen projected uh, so far, <laughs> which, because again, they've only shown it six times to, to that point. Um, yeah. Uh, and it did make things feel brighter. Here's the, th- the, like, the thing, this movie feels more alive than any other Marvel movie. Absolutely. It feels, it's like, cra- and, and the film projection helps that where it's a little bit, you know, like, shaky and stuff. And even, like, maybe there's a bad green screen composite or what have you. But even, like, that is helped by the fact that, like, something about the film projection uh, process makes everything merge in a way that's more pleasing and even if you recognize that's not a great green screen composite yeah it just it feels like there's an object you're exactly it feels like it feels like you can reach out and touch a movie when it's on film yes you know yeah film is so nice (laughs) it's very nice Uh, but yeah yeah i also saw joker on film that was a bad experience but we're not gonna talk about that micah mentioned uh this is really the last thing that i like felt like i needed to talk about micah mentioned that uh one of the things that pulled him out of the movie was the vfx and everything and how he wished they had i I mean this is a big problem i wish they were mm -hmm. sam raimi i was about to say this is a big problem on a lot of uh modern movies not just marvel movies um where it's rushed VFX, underpaid artists. I love practical effects too much anyway. Exactly, yeah. And it it, honestly, (sighs) that's my only other big gripe with this movie is I wish stuff felt a little more real. And honestly, the filmmaking is doing a lot of the heavy lifting here. It it makes (laughs) it much less egregious, but you're right, it is still there. Yeah, Um, yeah. I think with that, it is kind of just like, yeah. But at at least some of it is more creatively designed and the sets are like pretty good when they have them and when they're not it's just a little bit like all right we have to be patient for three minutes until we get to another good thing exactly it's a little bit like you get like little cookies along the way that keep you till the next cookie (laughs) so you're still watching and even with some of like the more blah cgi things and stuff there still feels like there was a lot of care put into it into the final product more so than even a lot of vfx with probably just as much care put into the pre-production. Yeah. Because, like, uh, yeah. take, like, the the demon monster thingamabob from the scene where America first comes uh, <laughs> in. Like, they use, they use, like, Elizabeth Olsen's retina and eye for that monster. No way. Yeah, the so, scan. You can tell, actually, oh looking at it. Oh, my God. That's the second am- time around, I was looking for it. I and did it, not I mean, know it, that. That it is like her eye. Yeah. And it's so cool. <laughs> that is... Oh, wow. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my God! That, <laughs> that's a movie right there. So there's, so there's like even even if it, wow. I, I don't know. It's such a, it, it's such a jumbled <laughs> mixed bag for me and yeah. how I feel about this movie. Yeah, it, which is but, good. That's but yeah, good. It, it is good. I, yeah, with that, it it's like the the kind of cobbled together nature of it makes it feel well clearly less homogenous than other movies, and therefore you get a sense of like people making it. And like yeah. fighting for things, <laughs> and it's like even if you, even if it doesn't feel as clean as some other films of this caliber, mm-hmm. it's like the cleanness of those films is what makes it less interesting. Yeah, and it's yeah. like the fact that like oh, this is more thought out than this part. You're just like <laughs> someone is like struggling to create <laughs> this experience, and you connect to that, and that's like good. That's, exactly. Good. Yeah. It's um Micah Micah mentions this about uh one of his favorite YouTubers, one of my favorite YouTubers too, Breadsword. Um he mentioned mm-hmm. that flawed Good art <laughs> is often more uh 
endearing to the yeah. viewer than like a technical yeah, like his, masterpiece. His his entire shtick really as as a well that's his as thesis a, as a commentator, as a commentator and, critic, and yeah. critic and everything. Yeah. Is yeah. that he he likes flawed art so much more than absolute perfection because it shows its humanity so much more. Right. Yeah. That's why I like Tenet <laughs> more than Dunkirk. You know? Yeah, <laughs> me too. I'm glad right. someone else. I'm, I found someone else who feels that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. My my whole. I don't want to get into Christopher Nolan because uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll have time for that some other point. But right. the whole thing with Christopher Nolan is I've always sort of felt like this guy. He's he's why 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 is he making movies? I don't know. <laughs> it's like I feel like his interests in movies are not things that make movies as enjoyable. Uh, as you know, what he—it's like, you know, I—I I don't, I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. I appreciate what he's doing and the space he's creating, and I hope someone more interesting will come <laughs> in to take advantage of that. But for yeah. the moment, like thinking about Dunkirk is like I don't have any problems with Dunkirk except that, like the first seven minutes are really great and the last seven minutes are really great, and everything in between that is perfect except that I don't care about it at all. Yeah, that's yeah. how that's how I am with Dunkirk, and Micah likes Dunkirk like a bit Dunkirk. more than I do. It's it's not it's not my favorite yeah. Nolan by a by a long shot. I do like Tenet more than Dunkirk. Yeah, right. Um, it's just I don't know. Christopher Nolan's a very weird director. <laughs> yeah, but also very plain. It's odd. Yeah, he's like he's like oddly generic, but he's obsessed with like these different concepts in film. It's mm-hmm. it's odd. That's why his best film <laughs> is The Prestige. I have to rewatch that. I've I've been meaning to rewatch it for a long time, but um. <laughs> yeah, so, so and, and you know, going back to what we were saying before, yeah. uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, Mikey Newman, movies with Mikey. Ooh, yeah, I for, I forget which episode he said this in, um, but it's it's like we it's like I forgot the exact quote because it was so good, and I'm gonna butcher it, <laughs> but um, it's like we connect to art because it's imperfect, like we are. Yeah, and oh, if man. you see. <laughs> Right, and and it's like the things that take you out of a movie, um, you know, they might be things that also endear you to it. And if you see a movie moment where it's like they, you know, were going for something and didn't quite make it, or there's a little quirk here or something, and it's yeah. like that makes you think about the people making it, and you're thinking about people and thinking about what they're thinking about, and that endears you to the movie even further because it's like a little portal into what a person is thinking. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's really that's really beautiful. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so so yeah, it's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. What 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 are our, what are our takes on a Kevin Feige production? He's uh, he's been uh, testing the waters with that the past couple productions. I uh, I I am not a not a Kevin Feige fan. He's not. Yeah. He's. I don't know. I, just the way any 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 interview I have heard from Kevin Feige and the way he <laughs> talks about his work and everything, yeah, feels very like he should care more about the actual movies. Like he's every got time a lot he, his, he's got a lot on his plate, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. No. No. I know. But like, but also he, that's he, his fault. He talks about these <laughs> movies and he's like, "I'm really excited." He, he, okay, so he sounds like he's he done this like 25 a, times. He sounds like a grandparent. <laughs> Talking about like their favorite grandkids' yeah. extensive career. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Doesn't really know what he's like. Doesn't really know what all that's about. Uh-huh. He's really happy about it. 
Exactly. Like, I'm so glad that that Taylor he's he's gone out and he's really made a name for his world <laughs> in you know the uh, experimental publishing field. Um, you know, when I was younger, we would just buy books, but now this is a new field with uh, great possibilities. They've developed new technologies in printing. And I hear there's a laser of some kind. And the writers are so talented. Um, you know, uh, Taylor, he's he's a big fan of Charles Dickens. So he was thinking about that when he was publishing the new book. It's it's just we're so lucky to have these these great young people working with this new project, and we can't wait to see where it goes next. Who knows? That absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's I think, the, I think Kevin But I was I was talking specifically about the title card, a Kevin Feige production that's only showed up in like the last year of Marvel things. Yeah, Why now? And, Why is he starting putting that in now? Why I does he now have the guts to be like, <laughs> I am in charge of this? We already the, know that, Kevin. But now, Infinity for some War. reason, he needs to put that card in there. Why? It's Infinity War. It got to him. Endgame and Infinity I, yeah, War. Yeah, I really honestly think that that was a big, like, that was such a big payoff for all of, like, mm-hmm. his hard work throughout, like, over the past, like, decade. Like, yeah. that's such a, that was the big payoff. It was a box office, like, smash which oh, was uh, it's an understatement <laughs> um but like i i really think that that probably gave him the comfort to finally like put his name there as like th- this is he, feel, his he feels like the, i think I think, yeah. I think honestly he now feels like the father of a generation of films that's not good <laughs> <laughs> i like, i don't care who you are i don't care how talented you are I would feel ba- I love Steven Spielberg. I would feel bad if someone described him as like the father of a generation of films. <laughs> Cuz to some extent it's true, but also yeah. it's not. But unfortunately, that's probably true with Kevin Feige and that is a bad thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Especially for someone who isn't as imaginative. <laughs> and I think I think that plays into uh the MCU keeping and just trying to grab and grab and grab more it's, it's people who up. have done like one movie. And yeah. that bothers me so much. Like, they'll do, like, yeah. one movie and they'll be like, come work with the MCU and that's great. I'm glad they're getting a big opportunity that will make get them that lots bag. of money. Mm-hmm. Get their name out there and all that. Absolutely. But, like, at the same time, I honestly feel like that just, that taints their experience in filmmaking so yes. much working under that big of a corporation as their, like, second outing on a movie. Right. No, that that's a very fascinating thing to talk about. And... It's not the case in Multiverse of Madness, a Sam yeah. Raimi film. Exactly. Um, like being but, great... Because I wanted to bring that up, actually, yeah. because you kept, like, you mentioned that he's one of the more experienced, and I wish that the MCU was grabbing from experienced mm-hmm. directors and not, well, well, again. Kevin Feige said he wanted, he was he was so happy he didn't have to look <laughs> over Sam Raimi's shoulder in the making of the film, and he wants right? to hire people who are competent now. <laughs> Dude. Dude, that's, like, that's Kevin Feige's big takeaway. We want to hire people who know what they're doing, so I don't have to pay too much attention. Yeah, because like, which I, could be good. I think, I think that's what boost boosted his his ego enough to get him to put the the Kevin Feige production. Because like with all of these young directors, I feel like he's thinking like, yes, come to come to my <laughs> circle. I will mm-hmm. I will get you into filmmaking. I will start your career. I will make you a big name. And and it's bled out in very unfortunate ways. I mean, it starts out like yeah. It's mostly MCU stuff where it is people who are like 32 years old who have directed two movies that mm-hmm. cost, you know, 15 bucks in a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> um, and I mean, that might have literally been the budget of half of John Watts YouTube short films. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, it, and, and then 
it bleeds out to the point where some of our most exciting filmmakers under the age of 40 are are they have to do the similar thing and not even within the MCU but within every brand of filmmaking we have yeah, yeah we have the Barry Jenkins Lion King prequel oh man <laughs> I don't because the thing with Barry Jenkins is it's like oh he cares about where like the camera goes and he cares about like human facial expressions uh-huh. we're talking about a lion that does not exist and you have to <laughs> elicit emotion from that and maybe it is a good script he said it was a good script I believe him it might be a, <laughs> he is, I'm not doubting that he read a good script what yeah. I'm doubting is that what makes him a great filmmaker perhaps isn't conducive to that however get that bag however this is unfortunate <laughs> um, yeah. and then it's like okay Greta Gerwig she had a kid in the last couple of years that kid needs to go to college Noah Baumbach is making a movie about a professor of Hitler so she's yep. kind of like I guess the kid needs a college money <laughs> fair enough I respect yeah. that I hope the Barbie movie is everything it's cracked up to be I am so every, excited for every more thing we learn about <laughs> it is interesting and exciting there's a, a video and I'm like from, from the set and I'm like oh is this not going to be PG? Maybe, right, maybe not. Right. That's oh, deep. Like, like I was thinking about this yesterday. I'm like, if it is PG, okay, they're pushing boundaries. That's cool. If it's PG 13, that's interesting. What are they going to do with that? If it's R, whoa. <laughs> yeah. If it's R, I'm going to like, I don't know what Lose I'm going to do. My mind. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. crazy. I'm, I'm excited because it could be anything. It could be I'm anything. I'm so excited. Greta Gerwig is such a good up and coming filmmaker. She is, she's incredible. But again, it yeah. is a little bit unfortunate that like, this is what, she has to do and she also she yeah. also wrote the uh, the live action snow white movie yep. yeah um yeah. similar thing it's an, <laughs> it's kind bag. of unfortunate <laughs> it, it's both unfortunate and not where it's like rachel zegler i would be willing to bet is the biggest movie star of our generation that is not an unreasonable thing to say yeah she no, has I, would, the, I would agree with not, that not maybe currently in terms of like fame but like no, in terms yeah. of skill and actual like camera presence and just all this stuff in 20 years could be like the the biggest name and right. she yeah. had one of the greatest film debuts maybe of all time right. exactly. and what she yeah. has done since is the Shazam sequel which I'm <laughs> sure will be fun and she's yeah. going to be live action Snow White in a movie that's probably not going to be as good as it should be mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and she's going to be in a Hunger Games prequel and it, we're oh, man. we're she's kind of seeing <laughs> yeah we're we're kind of seeing the repercussions of, of like, like she was you know born uh, like after 2000, that's like a pretty good cutoff, you know, generationally yeah. where people in that, like, that's how old we are, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like we're seeing the, the consequences finally of people who grew up in the the IP, like washing machine, you know, where you just throw in a Ghostbusters T-shirt and like put it on the cycle again. And like the color kind of bleeds out every time you do that. And yeah. uh, the logo gets kind of like cracked and faded. <laughs> Um, fabric stretches. Yeah, you know, and the, the, the collar doesn't feel right, and the tag is itchy, you know, it, metaphors and such. <laughs> it's it's a little bit unfortunate to see, like, okay, we have someone who, again, like, 80 years ago would have been, like, having all these great opportunities. And we, we haven't seen any footage from the other movies. I'm sure she's fantastic in them. Yeah. And it's it's just kind of frustrating to be like these great people who really excite me get like one or two chances to shine and show that they are as good as anyone else who's had this medium and has something interesting to say and then because of the way things are formatted they have to do something that like we were talking about earlier 
is inherently going to dilute them, even if it's a little bit, even if they're only diluted yeah. a little bit, that is a crime. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. take take even something that made me really, really sad. I, I didn't I haven't like gotten a chance to see the Northmen yet. But like oh, yeah. Robert Eggers was so disappointed in the reception to the Northmen. Yeah. And I've heard really nothing but good things about people who have actually like gone and seen it. Even yeah. my yeah. sister, who is not like <laughs> a, a Northman kind of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like, she really liked it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I'm so sad that he's just, like, disillusioned on filmmaking from this. Uh, I I was, I was, it was so crazy when I learned that cost $90 million. I'm like, they gave him $90 million? And he got to make, I mean, they, you know, they cut, like, some full frontal nudity and stuff. So that's, like, yeah. a bummer and whatnot. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh... I mean, you know what Robert Eggers likes. Yeah, He's, yeah. He, he wears his inspirations on his sleeve. Uh, yeah. So, so like, other than that, it felt pretty intact, and I thought it was a great movie, and I had a good time at the theater, and it was kind of loud, and I sat a little bit too close to the screen, whatever. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, it is that kind of thing where it's like, this should be a bigger deal because it's like a real movie being made. And, and like, something that didn't occur to me, uh, you know, I know the Safety Brothers have another movie in the works with Adam yeah. Sandler. In between that announcement and like Uncut Gems, which was like a, a two plus year, uh, gap, like almost three year gap. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I saw one tweet once that that kind of implied that maybe the Safties can't get another movie made, and that was like, <laughs> what do you, that didn't even occur to me because right, they right. made one of the greatest movies of the decade, Uncut Gems, <laughs> like and legitimately Gems did pretty well too. And it was received really well. Yeah. And the idea that maybe they can't get another movie made is just, it didn't even cross my mind, but it could have been true. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's crazy to think about. Like you could make something as big and as great as Uncut Gems and then just like that's yes. why not make anything else. That's why everyone should go watch just the first episode of Kenobi to where you can get Benny Safdie as a judge. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was so interested in I I've only seen the first episode of Kenobi and Benny Safdie shows up and First of all, he is getting the bag, but in a, a better, I think, way. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, like licorice, like it, it's so funny. It's like licorice pizza is like where he's studying, and then yeah. Kenobi is where he's getting the bag, and he's gonna like bring those two together <laughs> to uh, to hopefully make something good. By the way, I just wanted to comment. I think we are officially podcast length passing the duration of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, probably, which, oh, which was my goal. I think we're we're just getting there. Um, We're just over two hours now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, first of all, if you're still listening, wow. Shout out to you, Good I guess. Shout, well, you did yeah. It. Uh, I hope your laundry is going well and your commute <laughs> is going as smoothly as possible. Yes. Um, so, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Listen, we're young people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we, I, I don't want to speak for you guys. I want to work in the movie biz, you know, the yeah. Hollywood, the, the city of <laughs> thousand stars. I'm assuming you guys do it too in some capacity. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 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 Writing is really more my shtick. Sure. Yeah. That's yeah. a job that could pay for groceries. Good. That's <laughs> exactly. all you need to have. Really. Uh, so, so, but, but it's so frustrating to then see people who are like, you know, of course you have like uh, a Billy Wilder who oh. died like right before we were born, you know, yeah. and it's like he's a great inspiration and he's a great filmmaker and he was able to make so many amazing, interesting films. And, you know, that's there's a disconnect there. 
And you have some people who are older now who are still making things and, you know, bless them. They're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I saw Crimes of the Future recently. So good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And how old, how old is he now? Cronenberg has to be in, he's in his like 80s or 90s now, right? Yeah. But he had, and I don't think 90s, but he has, maybe not. He has, he has like really, really, really uh, gnarly wrinkles. Like he looks like someone <laughs> yeah. named David Cronenberg who makes horror movies. Like you picture that and it's like, yep, that's him. He, yeah. he looks like, he, he looks like if David Lynch fell into a puddle of toxic goo, which is what you want him to look like. Um, He's yeah. making ear man in his 80s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, you have those people and then you have the people who like hypothetically not, not to like, you know, fantasize too much, but it's like, okay, <laughs> could I then, you know, years from now, become friends with someone who I admire who's like working who's in their 30s or 40s right if if yeah. you could like you know and that happens it's like Wes Anderson is friends with Brian De Palma or something like yeah, that. yeah you know yeah. that's like a thing that happens in theory because artists are a- attracted to each other yeah. yeah you know to then see these people who are like inspiring us and being like wow that was really insane I can't wait to see where their career goes. Like in yeah. the 80s, it's like maybe they make a bad movie. Nowadays, it's like maybe they make a mediocre movie and have to keep making mediocre movies forever. That's like <laughs> scarier than maybe the new John Carpenter movie isn't that great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so scared for the new uh, Dario Argento movie. <laughs> oh, what is I'm that? I'm so scared. Do I know about this? What is this? Um, it's, He's um, doing a new movie. Yeah. How old is he? Um, yeah, no, I was about to say, it just premiered, or I think it premiered at one of the film festivals this past year. I don't know if I've even heard of this. Yeah, no, uh, he's he's doing a new movie. It's, um, what is the name of it? I can't remember for the life of me. But yeah, like, I am I love Suspiria, and I can't mm-hmm. wait to watch more of his stuff. But like, the, the dark, fact... Dark Glasses. Yeah, Dark Glasses. Interesting. And I'm so scared that it's not going to be good. <laughs> just because, of, like we've mentioned, like we've been talking about for the past, like, hour... The modern landscape of movies and the way it relates to <laughs> multiverse of madness it's it's very interesting and kind of depressing and scary but yeah <laughs> he, he, yeah he is 82 years old right making movies argento or cronenberg <laughs> uh, argento, argento. Oh, okay yeah. i thought it would have been older but that okay um yeah so so yeah it is it is just this thing of like harry jenkins well it we're <laughs> seeing it in certain like ryan johnson <laughs> I think we can uh, agree that he is quite good at making movies. Yes, uh, I, I like agree. his personality. I like his uh, sentiment. I like his commitment to making things good. Yeah. Even though, again, it's like he made the middle Star Wars movie, and it's the best Star Wars movie. And the fact that he can do that <laughs> is like super commendable. Uh, yeah. And he made Knives Out, which like did what most movies should be, which is that it's a mid-budget, uh, high-concept original movie with a good cast that made three times its money back. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. like the that's like that's a the good dream. Hollywood business model. <laughs> right. And then Netflix sees that because we've gotten <laughs> like four of those in the last decade maybe. Um yeah. uh, like the other one uh, like John Wick that happened too and we've yeah. seen the ramifications of that being like everything wants to be John Wick now. It's like, "Oh, could that be because it had a good idea and was executed well <laughs> and made back more money than it put into it? Is yeah. that why? And it sticks with people. So, so yeah. So we have, by the way, bullet train hype. End of end yeah. of sentence. Uh, I hope that's really good. Uh, so, so yeah, we have like Ryan Johnson, and it's a little bit frustrating to be like, he he gets, he's getting the bag. He's getting right one hundred million dollars. 
That my is goodness. more money than I would know what to do with. <laughs> you know, frankly. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy for him. But I'm like... happy for him, but also it's like he's now spending seven years post Knives Out, say, making two more Knives Out movies for Netflix. Maybe they'll be good. Maybe they won't. But I want another movie that's like Knives Out, not like Knives Out, but that is mid-budget, high-concept, original, good cast, right. what and have it, you. And it kind of makes me sad because, like, not only that, like, Knives Out was kind of kind of a perfect storm in Ryan Johnson's career and the fact mm-hmm. that he had been working on that movie for, 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 like, decades. Yeah. That was his, that was, like, his passion project. It was like his La La Land. Um, it was, like, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Oh, Avalon um, hype. End of the <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but, like... And and that was always kind of my thing with being cautious with any Knives Out sequel in general. Like I, I'm happy that he's getting to make more of these. And but I it's love, a Netflix movie. I love Benoit yeah. Blanc too, <laughs> but like at the same time, I cannot see like it being the same by Netflix by a Benoit Blanc sequel mystery. I was I was so I was so freaked out. Um, we've we've only seen like one shot from the movie. It's like it's like it's like all the the supporting characters yeah. on the ramp to the boat, and then the camera like pulls out, and Daniel Craig turns around, um, and the shot like I, I don't want to get into my Steve Yellen rabbit hole, uh, <laughs> you know it you know it looks it looks good it looks all right um, yeah, but I saw there, there was there was a report yesterday that um, Glass Onion. A Benoit Blanc knives out mystery movie and Netflix production <laughs> from writer director Ryan Johnson is going to premiere at is it TIFF is it Toronto International Film Festival probably or? TIFF I yeah. forget which one yeah. might, okay it, it might be premiering at TIFF and they had because they only have like one image from the movie which is like with the whole cast in yeah. the um and they had that picture and for some again it might have been my memory or maybe not it it looked way more desaturated than the teaser shot we got. And I'm like, why? Why is this Wait press release very desaturated? Oh, yeah. Oh, look. There's oh, wow. Yeah. Micah that... just pulled up the Vanity Fair yeah. uh, article. And yeah. It's... Oh, man. <laughs> That's so weird. Wait, can, can you also pull up the, the teaser, uh, like, one, you know, shot? I can try. Can we, can we try to do a comparison? Uh, yeah. Just talk about talk about things. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so like, again, with that, it's like, what what are they doing? Why why is this like this? Don't Don't wrong me. <laughs> This is a, a personal slight, not because yeah. my not because what I care about is important, but because what I care about is other people having a good time. Uh, right. And if it's going to be diluted in some way, then, yeah, I think Netflix should just personally apologize to me. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I just did the side by side. And it yeah, is, is it, it's genuinely. Yeah, it's definitely it's genuinely desaturated. Why? Like distinctly. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. I, okay. So I'm not crazy. Why? Crazy I mean, I am either. crazy, but not... <laughs> not about this. <laughs> I'm not seeing things. Why? Why does it look like that? Do, yeah. Any ideas? I, I could have... Uh, like, I have no idea I mean, why the why the footage would look different than the picture, honestly. It could just be the way they got the image. Right. It could be a bad press kit. It could Possibly. be whatever. These yeah. are all possible things. But but the, the, but the pessimist in me is like, have they butchered <laughs> this for no reason? Well, oh, there is man. a reason, because I guess modern audiences are scared of colors... I don't like I I speaking color. as a modern audience member. Yeah. I don't like color. I wish right. I lived in black and white. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but audience, but modern audiences don't like black and white either. So I I don't get it, man. Dude. Like there's some movies that are desaturated enough that it looks like it's almost yeah. black and white. It's like you might as well just go all the way. And, 
And yet people like are but like, oh, yeah. I'm not like crazy. Yeah. I don't like watching movies in black and white. I'm yeah, like, come on, black guys. and white people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bit too much. <laughs> Man. Hmm. Because they actually like, you know, made it to be without color and like yeah. did the lighting well and used <laughs> black and white to good effect instead of it just being an image that you can barely decide. What's yes. What. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's about contrast and lighting and shadow. And that's like, what black and white is all about. And like yeah. what's interesting is that uh, Indiana Raiders of the Lost Ark was shot by the amazing Douglas Slocum, who yeah. was already pretty old at that point and had experience in, like, the 40s and 50s mm-hmm. shooting black and white movies. And so the idea of Indiana Jones is that they shot the... At least Raiders... I don't know about the other ones, but oh, specifically so Raiders of the Lost Ark to look good, maybe even better in black and white. They, they shot oh, yeah. it like it was a black and white movie. Have you seen... And you can tell. You can tell. But Have you seen the Steven Soderbergh version where he made it that way? Do you know oh, about no, this? no, I haven't. You don't know about... Oh, this is so... Steven Soderbergh, <laughs> like, in 2015, <laughs> for educational purposes only, <laughs> he took Raiders of the Lost Ark, he turned it black and white, he removed all the sound, and then put the social network score under it. <laughs> and oh, wait a minute. I did hear about this. You did yeah. hear. You have to watch it, though. It is a fascinating <laughs> experiment in how that movie is crafted and how, like... When to take out the color, first of all, it looks sick. But yeah. beyond that, it has a like a function in the storytelling. Once you take out the the like the dialogue and the sound and the color, you end up with a, a like a graphic sort of motion thing that you can understand. Yeah. Well, it's like a I was watching this thing on the Parasite uh, Criterion mm. uh, thing mm. about <laughs> Bong Joon Ho talking about why that he made a black and white version of Parasite. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about why he likes black and white filmmaking so much, and the fact that it that it invokes everything that's actually like not not like real about filmmaking, but it invokes the actual hard language of film mm-hmm. and of your actors mm-hmm. it, it makes everything more punctuated that's actually right. like i mean obviously there's film language in color a lot it's, of film language in color but it's like the it's like this to tie this back a little bit it's like the shield going through captain carter and we don't see it what yeah. we what we get is is highlighting a thing that we wouldn't get if we saw the whole picture and our brain is filling in the details exactly. so when you're watching a black and white movie Usually you don't think, oh, it's in black and white. You're like imagining it in a weird half sense where it's like, I understand that this is a color, but what we're highlighting are like the creases in an actor's face that are shown by the shadow and that's an emotion and stuff. And watching black and white parasite versus Mm. color parasite is a really cool experience. It's a very different experience. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool because it highlights completely different things that shine throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a lot more, um, like, I love how spatially conscious Parasite is as a movie. That's, like, one of my Ooh. favorite things about yes. that movie. Have you, and watching have, it in a, black and white. You've done a Parasite episode, right? Uh, not yet, no. no. You haven't? No. Hmm. But um, watching it in black and white, <laughs> you can feel the it's, camera moving. You, it's, it's You're nailing beautiful. it. You got it. Yes. Exactly. It's just, I'm like... I, I don't know if I prefer the black and white version of Parasite, but it's just... They're very different experiences. Exactly, yeah. It's just it's, a very different thing so, to something, watch. Something, yeah, no, <laughs> on that point, something yeah. I've been thinking about in, like, film, when when there was the, like, the Midsommar extended version... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I haven't seen yet, but I've, I've been meaning to. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's the sort of thing... I don't know if Ari Aster said it or if it said it in some sort of article, but it's, like, 
it's not that this is a better version of Midsommar, it's just another version of Midsommar, and yeah. hopefully they meld in your head in a way where, like, this version works better in this way, and this version works better in this way, yeah. and they're detractors, but if you see both of them, there is a third Midsommar that does not, could not exist in your head that has the best of all the elements. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing where it's like, oh, there's like a deleted scene that's really good in a movie. And it's like, if it was in the movie, it would take away from it. But the deleted scene exactly. has like good stuff. And if you see the deleted, the deleted scene, you have that in your head and it's processing mm -hmm. with the version of the movie that flows better. Yeah. And so it's like movies it's cool. in a sense where it's not any one thing. And you can watch yeah, it on your phone I... and you can watch it on a big screen. And these are all different experiences that inform a, a, a broader... Uh, hypothetical version of the movie that only exists for, for you. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I watched um, the extended edition of Fellowship of the Ring for the mm. first time not that long ago, and it's genuinely worse. Like, it's just paced <laughs> worse. Interesting. It, I, think, I think on a film level of watching the movie, it is not as well-structured, it is not as well-paced, I don't think all the moments work as well, mm -hmm. but it's still really, really cool to watch. Yeah. Because you have all of these really good scenes and really cool moments that didn't make it because they wouldn't have worked as well for the flowing movie. And like you said, you now, I now have this as kind of like, even when I'm watching the other movie, I'll be like, oh, and there was also like these things happening. Mm-hmm. So it, it creates, I think it's a more enjoyable experience now right. watching Fellowship of the Ring now that I've seen the extended edition, even though my choice of what to turn on would not be the extended yeah. edition. Yeah, exactly. Exa it's, oh. Movies are pretty cool. They're neat. They're fascinating. Exactly. We don't really know what they are, but <laughs> one thing I can confidently say is that, <laughs> is that the issues arise when you try to make it any one thing. Yeah. Well, and film film is one of the coolest pieces of art to me in the fact that it is it is music, it is picture, it is motion, it is actors, it is like sometimes so they have many, monkeys in them. So <laughs> it's so many other art forms <laughs> combined into mm -hmm. one ball of something that can connect to human brains in a way that almost no other yeah. piece of art can. They're, yeah. On, on that, a thing I wanted to bring up earlier, but it got kind of <laughs> lost because I don't know what this episode is. Uh, is is um I was I was watching some of the Criterion bonus features on Mikey and Nikki, which yeah. also if you do any Elaine May episodes at any point, I'm, I want to <laughs> plant my flag. I'm calling dibs. Uh, so so he was he was just, uh, there was an interview with uh, critic Richard Brody, and he said there's a misconception that film is a visual medium. And it's actually a metaphysical medium in that it, yes, it is visual. It's like a, a, a 2D image on a screen of some kind and there are sounds. And, yeah. you know, that varies in certain degrees, but that, you know, it's basically like yeah. a picture and it moves and sometimes at least. And, and there's <laughs> a, a sound of some kind. Yeah. Uh, and it creates a, a, like a world in your brain that could not exist in any other sense. And how Absolutely. do you use that? And there's a sort of a danger of thinking of film both like less metaphysically and also too visually in a way. Yeah. Like, like I think yeah. some some of the divide is um is like with film Twitter people. It's like okay, we have the Marvel uh, defenders, the Marvel stands, the MCU heads, the <laughs> the Foggy Bros, all those people. Yeah, and. Yeah. And what they're arguing for is, like, film craft isn't important as long as I get, like, my stories 
or whatever. Um, and and it's like we don't have it's like oh you're complaining it doesn't look like Seventh Seal except they wouldn't say that because they wouldn't know what that is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Or some people saying that, no, I, I only said that because there was some person who said that the new Thor reminded him of Seventh Seal. <laughs> did you see that? What? Oh my no. gosh, there, no, there I was, did not. There was some person who was like, oh, it's like it's like Flash Gordon and Seventh Seal and, you know, some <laughs> other, like, Criterion pick movie. That's funny. <laughs> not going to get into that, but... Uh, oh, um, and then And then there are, like, the people who are responding to that being like, here's an experimental film from the 1940s where they didn't quite know what movies were yet, and it highlights an interesting principle, but it doesn't create a metaphysical world in the same way. It's like, it's a purely visual, like, here's a juxtaposition of images, and it's like, that's really interesting, that has an interesting effect. And then, yeah. what like what I would consider, not to be too like uh, restrictive, but what I would consider a quote-unquote real movie is, is the metaphysical sweet spot in between those, where... It's like we're getting a story and we're getting characters and we're getting like, I don't know, the basic stuff. And then yeah. we're getting an interesting use of the form and marrying that to be a worthwhile experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all, you know, tired. <laughs> we're all exhausted. We're in the trenches. What we just want is to have a good, meaningful experience. Because if we're going to spend like 30 bucks every <laughs> two months to see the new Marvel movie in IMAX... Why not get a good time out of it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I think that's a good that's a good rap. Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> it does that. Is a good time. It yeah. did that. It made me very happy. That is the takeaway. <laughs> I guess what I guess what I'm trying to say in the two and a half hours we've been here is that this movie <laughs> made me happy. Yay. Yay. Oh my god. We did not even talk about Pizza Papa. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Pizza All right, we'll, we'll tack we'll tack on this discussion right here at the end, and we'll, we'll call it a, we'll call it a day Papa, after the final that. the final thing. Yeah, I don't, right, so I, don't have, I don't have any strong <laughs> things to say other than I'm very happy about that. Pizza Papa. I was so Pizza scared Papa. that Bruce Campbell wasn't going to be in this. Yeah. Like, at all. I, want, I was hoping he'd be in it more, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of sad that he was he was just there for that joke. Yeah. But good joke though. It's a good joke. I want to try those. Balls. I want to try those yeah. pizza oh, balls now. I should try making those sometime. The tiny pepperonis, dude. And again, they look uh, good. Again, the end. Of the, <laughs> it's one of the. I wish they didn't have the post post credit scene, because uh, you know they have the two. The one is, would be such a good. Just we don't need the. We other don't need thing. Oh, uh, and like the ending where he like falls to his knees and he's and you're like, what is this? Yeah, end? such a sick ending. That's and like so that, cool. that could be the ending to uh, like. What I think about with this movie <laughs> it is beyond like a, an end tack on. I'm sorry, we we brought it yeah, back yeah. into the main episode now, <laughs> but is that there like how I think easy it would be to if you were to make this movie 15 years ago, how easy mm -hmm. it would be to change a couple things so that it is fully contained within itself and interesting. Absolutely, and I the think movie that could end. Would be such a good ending. The movie could end with him falling to his knees and the third eye opening up, and you would never see another Doctor Strange movie again. And that would be like a fulfilling. Experience. I would be the coolest thing in the world, <laughs> right? And unfortunately, we did not get that. Oh my yeah. gosh, that would be but, so dope. <laughs> but it still worked really well. And yeah. Pizza Papa is here. I love Pizza Papa and and the Sam Raimi car. And the Sam uh, Raimi car. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So before I think of anything else I want to go, oh, about, <laughs> let's, let's wrap, let's, let's wrap this up. Cause I, I really, I don't have any more water and, uh, I'm going to have to rest my vocal cords for the, the rest all right, of the All right. All right. So, uh, just to, just to restate, uh, I gave it 
a three and a half. Robbie gave it a four, four and, and a half. And uh, Yossi <laughs> gave it a five. A five out of five. <laughs> Maybe. I can respect that. I, I think as long and as uh, rambly as this episode has been, I think it does help illustrate what uh, at least I love about Multiverse of no, Madness. No, I think, yes. I think we went into a lot of the, even though we went off on a lot of the principles <laughs> of film, I think yeah. it went into a lot of the principles of film that actually make this movie exactly. as memorable and meaningful as it is in the in the landscape of MCU movies. Yeah. I want to I wanna look at my 2022 ranked list. I haven't seen a lot of uh, 2020. I've seen nine movies released from this year. I think I, this is in my top five of the year. I'm pretty right. confident that it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna go backwards because <laughs> number nine, the unbearable weight of massive talent. I saw that okay. at a free preview screening where the line was like all the way around the block. That was the perfect <laughs> way to experience that film. <laughs> nice. uh, number eight, Kimmy. Really Ooh, good movie. I love we're gonna, Kimmy, man. We're gonna talk about Steven Soderbergh. Number seven, <laughs> The Batman, a film that doesn't need any more praise for me. Considering I liked it, but everyone else seemed to like it more. Six, <laughs> Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, a yeah. film which also I don't want to get into because <laughs> I don't think I can say anything without someone being like, wait just a moment. Uh, <laughs> not, not that I didn't like it and not that I do like it. Uh, but, um, I'm not explaining myself well. Yeah. And I said I wasn't yeah. going to get into it. I yes. have nuanced <laughs> opinions on the movie. Yes. Number five, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I guess very cool that it's doing what it's doing. Yeah. Um, number four, The Northman. Uh, very cool that it's doing what it's doing. Unfortunate <laughs> that it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> number three, Crimes of the Future. I liked it a lot mm-hmm. more than I thought it would. Number two, Dr. Strinjin, The Multiverse of Badness. All right. A Kevin Feige production. A Kevin Feige <laughs> production of a Sam Raimi film starring Benedict Cumberbatch and <laughs> with Michael Stuhlbarg. Number one... RRR, Rise of a Revolt. Yeah, I was about uh, to say, I'm like, wait, what's what's going to be number one? But then I remembered that you've seen RRR. I'm like, and oh. And RRR <laughs> is one of the greatest theater experiences I've ever had. I I, reg- I think I'm going to regret it till the end of my days not going and seeing it in theaters. It's, we were so have close you seen to it going. No, no, I still haven't watched mm, it. Netflix, has Netflix it, doesn't, doesn't have the original doesn't audio. Have the original fair, audio of it. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I have to hope <laughs> they bring it back in some... Like, finger... Hey... Stranger Things have happened. <laughs> if it gets nominated for Best Picture and Regal Ooh. is like, yes. is like we're going to show the best. That happened oh my before. Gosh. Yes, I it did. That. I need that. If that I happens. The, I want to see it so bad. And yeah. I don't want to. I want to watch it in original. All right. I'm language. holding out for that now. I don't want to okay. watch a dub. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a quick break here and we'll come back for another two and a half hours where I talk about RRR. Um, <laughs> actually, see you then. It would, it would it would have to be a, a longer episode because my goal is just to to cross the runtime uh, yeah, of every run movie time. I talk about. So since RR is like three hours and five minutes, uh, gotta have a lot of opinions on it, which I'm sure I could conjure up. Absolutely. <laughs> and now that we've kind of uh, wrapped up our main discussion, we're gonna do a quick little what we watched at the end. So uh, let's get into it. All right. So for those of you who are new to the podcast or are even listening this far in, we have a little What We Watch segment. This time we're doing it a little bit differently due to time. So it's just going to be Yossi going over um, the films that he wants to talk about that he watched for the month. Yeah, for this past month. Wait, June 2022. Absolutely. Uh, I already mentioned I watched Spider-Man 3 for the first time. Good movie. Uh, 
I watched the movie Smithereens for the first time. Ooh. Good movie. Rango for the first time in hey. a while. Yeah. Interesting movie. Rango. Quick <laughs> and the Dead. I, I was on a, a revisionist Western kick, and uh, that includes McCabe and Mrs. Miller first time. Nice. Uh, Forbidden Planet, a, a sci-fi movie from 1956, features a character called Robbie the Robot, who we may all be familiar <laughs> with through <laughs> other channels, but, you know. Uh uh, David Lean's Brief Encounter, oh, if you haven't seen it, David it's, Lean. uh, David Lean is excellent. If you see a film and it was directed by him, you should watch it. Was that, uh, was that your first time watching it? Second time. Okay. I watched it for the first time a while ago. Though. Okay. Okay. So, so first time in a while. First time though for, uh, Irma Vep, uh, Ooh, interesting movie. Interesting. Super, super immersive. Like one of the most immersive movies I've ever seen. And it's just, it just, it goes and then it's done and you're like, whoa, uh, <laughs> David Cronenberg's Crumbs of the Future. Again, I liked it a lot more than I expected to. Um, I watched, I think I already mentioned this, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yep. Uh, I now have a better understanding of all of it and can contextualize it. And people say that they're good movies. I can't disagree. They're excellent movies. <laughs> okay, I gotta ask, which one was yeah. your favorite of the trilogy? I... Mm, mm. <laughs> mine Mine has always been Fellowship. Mine has always been of the King. <laughs> I don't... I don't I can't see them that separately. They they bleed into they each really other that do. well. That's I, fair. <laughs> I think it's kind of like, at a certain point in these movies, it's kind of like uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, where <laughs> yeah, where it's kind of like this thing is so big that forming an opinion on it seems stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like how it's just it's I can't even <laughs> form words. It's just like my favorite of them. What are you talking about? It was like seeing <laughs> a, a gigantic spectacle that you can't elaborate on. Fair so enough. I think it was just, you know, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a little bit phased after all that. Uh, <laughs> special shout out to the Nebula original film, Patrick Willems presents Night of the Coconut. I must watch featuring it. Featuring Charles. <laughs> um, good movie. Uh, uh, my my friend uh, Brian Metolius did the music for it. Yeah. Uh, it's very good. Um, <laughs> and it's very fun. And if you like to support... Uh, well, you know, indie cinema, then <laughs> then uh then then take a look. Um I got to see uh, There Will Be Blood in theaters for the hey, first time. Oh man. That was very cool. And <laughs> A Clockwork Orange in theaters for the first time. Uh well, not, I didn't see them both for the first time, but in theaters yeah, for the first time. First time in a theater, um, yeah. Yes. Those movies make quite an impact <laughs> on the big screen. If you get an opportunity to see them, eh, you ain't seen nothing like it. Right. I want to shout out uh, a smaller movie from 1977 uh, from a very good director, Joan Micklin Silver. It's called Between the Lines. Uh, it features uh, a young Jeff Goldblum, Ooh. and mm. it featured the main character is uh, this photojournalist lady who is uh, very cool, and it's it's about this sort of like like independent sort of like radical newspaper in Boston, but it's in the, 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 the waning days of it. So it's like eight years ago, oh. this was super cool yeah. and radical and interesting. <laughs> and now all the people are like eight years into it and they don't really have any money <laughs> and they're like going to sell the paper to a, a, like a real company. And so it's just, it's not what it used to be. And it's like following these characters at sort of end of that. And it's kind of an ensemble thing and it's really good. Interesting. I, um, I on my on my birthday, I went to see Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, in in Washington Heights, New York, Manhattan, with special guest appearance from Lin Manuel Miranda and Steven Spielberg. 
I, I can't put into words how meaningful <laughs> an experience that was. And I'm not even going to try to. Just My know uh, a, a highlight. Just in general. <laughs> it feels worth uh, immortalizing in the podcast form. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I saw Knights uh, of Kiberia Fellini movie. Excellent. Um, <laughs> it kind of reminds you what you can do if you have like a good actor and a good idea and like a story and just like a street. <laughs> you can you can make good stuff. And I uh, rewatched Elaine May's A New Leaf with Walter Matthau. Elaine May again. Uh, she's amazing, and also she scares me with how good she is at everything. I hope she makes that fifth movie with Dakota Johnson. It's it's oh, supposed to be man. called Crackpot. Uh, she is like ninety years old, right? <laughs> I hope it gets made. That and would rock. if if not, you should still watch all of Elaine May's <laughs> movies. So that's where I'm gonna leave it. Um, thank you guys for yeah, having yeah. me. Although, again, I do I do feel a little bit <laughs> like like I, I dashed in the room and said I need to be on this episode. <laughs> Don't so, feel bad, man. I think I think it's honestly for the best. I think the version of the, the multiverse of madness episode that we would have made is probably a lot less interesting and rewarding than this is. Right. So <laughs> okay, well. Uh, unfortunately, I can't do this too often because I've I've gained a new appreciation for podcasters in that every week they do this, and I am exhausted. Maybe it's because I've been like high energy and yelling for two and a half hours. Right. Uh, that that could that could be why I feel tired now. But uh, you you guys are good because you're low key and can maintain your your vocal cords. But I'm not that uh, I'm not I don't have that kind of restraint. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you being on yeah, here. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I was about to say it's it's always nice talking with you just about anything really. Sure. You're a very very insightful artist, and I'm oh, glad boy. to know you, Yossi. Great. That's good. You guys you guys can like say how cool I am more later, but I can't be on the call when that happens. Fair enough. Fair enough. So <laughs> hey, it's your podcast. Feel free. Uh yeah. um, all right. I think be sure to check out uh Yossi's oh, yeah. website. Uh it'll be linked down in the description oh, of the podcast. Cool. <laughs> nice. Uh check out his short films. Yeah. He's a I, talented I, man. I I don't for for those of you listening who have made it this far and are <laughs> even passively interested in what I'm up to. I don't like to make promises because this is a big <laughs> thing and I can't guarantee anything. Yeah. As Robbie and probably Micah knows because, you know, loose lips are sinking the ship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I have, I, I'm working on another short film and it's, it's the biggest thing I've done so far. I mean, uh, hopefully I'll be able to do it. I have yeah. a draft after working on it for a very long time, and now I have to try to get it made. So look out for that. I'm, I'm gonna again. I I hate to like <laughs> say this yeah. is when it's going to happen because I can't. I don't even know if it's going to happen. Yeah. But if I if I'm if it's able to happen, I would like to have some kind of finished version of it out before say the end of March 2023. Okay. Okay. I thought you were. <laughs> I no. thought you were going to give like a 2022 date. I'm like, you're an insane man. <laughs> no, no. I think hopefully, fingers crossed, shooting September, October, November, maybe December, depending on how we can schedule it. Uh, and then editing will take some time. <laughs> if yeah. I can, again, I like I didn't announce The Last Stand formally yeah. until I had the scans of like the film negative back until I yes. could say 
even if it turns out poorly, I can release something. Exactly. Now yeah. all I have is <laughs> a first draft of a script for something that will take a lot of uh, let's just say blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> I was about to say, having having read a a version of the yeah. script, um, it is going to be a very involved production. I, so. I, I, got, to, I got to see it be printed. <laughs> that was that was my. I was sitting did, there. Did, like, did you read it or just see it? No, printed? I didn't read it because oh, I, okay. I wasn't. He was just... he was just like sitting in the room where the printer yeah. was, and all of a sudden <laughs> it just started like spitting out the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I wasn't gonna just. Re- I mean, you didn't. Tell yeah, me, all right. Tell me I, about, so. I, I'll I'll email you like the NDA, and you can you can give it a read if you're <laughs> interested. He's uh, NDA is not going so well with him. He's an, I have to. He's he's, he, he's disciplined me before on this. <laughs> he's gotten on to me. Got to got to crack down on this. Exactly. Sure, this is a, this isn't official in any way, but it's always good to pretend that it is. Exactly. Because until until I can get the lawyers involved, I gotta make it seem like there are lawyers involved. <laughs> Well, now right. the now well, the Mega hey, Mao hey, fans hey. have stuff to look forward to. Hey, I yes, studied a I, little morsel of uh, of content. <laughs> I took if a you singular will. law class from Harvard. <laughs> I'll be your lawyer. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, a scary thought. <laughs> Terrifying. All right. Well, with that, I think I need to collapse. Go yeah. for it, man. Nice. This is this is our official day off, so we'll yeah. probably oh, just good. go like take a nap or something. Yeah. <laughs> Watch some yeah. movies. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, well, um, yeah, we'll catch everyone next time. Yeah. Thanks again for being yeah. on, Yossi. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the recording <laughs> now.